This is Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 and ESPN690.com. Hello, Nick Foles. He really is going to play this week. Yep. Took to the podium behind the microphone. Did a little preaching, which was actually kind of fun to listen to. Yeah. Uh, And then let's see what he's got. Uh, I tell you what, what I learned a lot about, and I kind of knew already, but uh, you could really see it, is he loves Frank Reich, the Indianapolis Colts head coach. Of course, who was yeah. with him in Philadelphia. Gives him a lot of credit for changing things around and kind of the read and react is the way he describes it and finding that. But uh, he was almost emotional. Hmm. I think you almost have to see the video of that. You'll hear some of the sounds, see if you can pick it up a little bit. But I thought I saw watching the news conference that you could see – Almost like his eyes well up a little bit, talking about Frank Reich. I mean, that's how uh, a big of a relationship they have, how important he is uh, in his life and his football career. So that was kind of cool to uh, see and hear from uh, Nick Foles. So happy Wednesday, everybody. Brent Martineau, former Jags player Austin Lane. Coos is here. You guys all survived the uh, chicken eating contest? We did, yeah. I mean, well, I guess I did. Coos, you all right? Did you face any major backlash? I, no, I just Wendy. realized I don't have my headphones, so I'm doing okay. Oh, okay. Wendy's didn't come to my house or anything like that, Brent, so we're good at that say, angle. I was curious. How, how are you doing, though, man? More importantly, how are you doing right now with the college football rankings? Because I saw them come out, and I immediately thought of you. Did you really? I really did. I've got Jay Billis talking on... Uh, you know, tweeting back. Well, I tweeted at him. In fairness, okay. I give him credit. Did he? I got wait, the Alabama fans. Did Jay Bellis like re- respond to you? Yeah. What did he say? Yeah. I didn't. All right. Uh, well, basically, I said to him, I, I give him credit for responding too. Uh, I didn't know if he would. I'm sure he gets a million tweets, right? Mm-hmm. I like Jay Bellis too. Yeah. And let's see. I got to go way back. I guess I've had a lot of interaction with this uh, whole thread. And I said last night because I was listening to him in the game. Okay. Basketball game? Yep. By the way, how about Evansville beating Kentucky? That might be in Ballin' and Fallin'. That's definitely my Ballin' and Fallin'. The Purple Aces? One. The Purple oh, Aces. Oh, man. And uh, so anyway, I'm watching a little college hoops, doing some work, and, and uh, I said, hey, Jay Billis, I love you, but Georgia absolutely should be ranked ahead of Alabama. Who has Bama beaten? Georgia's beaten Florida and Notre Dame, yet to allow more than 20 points in a game. And then, oh, here come the Crimson Tide. Yeah. Roll Tide. Yeah. You guys, I mean... You guys, you people, mm. you you Alabama people. Okay. What you get? I'm not an Alabama hater. Careful now. Now I feel like they're a pretty big nation. I'm not an Alabama hater. Okay. Now, okay, should I readily admit if you if you did a lie detector test, do I have a little bit of fatigue on Alabama? Probably like the Patriots. You know, same thing. Mm. Yeah, I get it. I, I like to see different, but different people have been in the mix. I just so the Alabama people came out and said, of course, you know, we're the best and. We lost to LSU and, yeah. and all this stuff. So, again, it's a fun back and forth. I like it. But anyway, Jay Billis said, uh, let's see, how did Jay, what did Jay Billis after I tweeted at him? He said, uh, uh, did he say anything? Georgia hasn't beaten South Carolina, who hasn't beaten half the teams in its schedule. Georgia was behind Alabama last week. Nothing happened to change the status of the two as to each other. Nothing. And I can respect uh, Jay Billis's thought. See, what he was trying to claim is what jumped. Don't. It doesn't matter what you believe, which is kind of where I'm coming from more so. Like, I believe Georgia should be on the grand scheme of things. But he's saying what changed from last week to this week to jump Georgia ahead of Alabama mm. is what he's saying. And most people would say, well, Alabama lost. Correct. But now if you match losses, what did Georgia do? Well, Georgia won, but it's not like they beat Auburn last week and got this, like, huge win. 
Yeah. And so now they're saying, now you go and you look at the losses. What I, but everybody gets so carried away and is the losses. And, and it's fair to point out, I'm not, I'm not taking that away. I'm not dismissing it. But how about the wins? I mean, shouldn't the wins matter for something too? Like who you're beating? And it's like, okay, if we play every JV team on the schedule, it's okay. But as long as we didn't lose to South Carolina, we lost to a good team, LSU. Yeah. You're all right. But that doesn't work for Minnesota. So yeah. then why isn't Minnesota ahead of Georgia? Mm-hmm. From your same point of view, if you think Alabama should be ahead of Georgia, then you should also think Minnesota should be ahead of Georgia. Simple as that. Yeah. In my opinion. So, <laughs> so I'm hot right. on it. No, and now I, I got the I, Alabama I, people after me. I mean, Ryer's after me. The yeah. Ryer brothers are after me. So, yes. <laughs> should I, Bill what? Edwards is here. I mean, I got them all. Everyone's coming it. to the party, man. I, it's, so, I'm not hating on Alabama. Mm, yeah. You, you hear my thought on it, and... As far as okay, maybe a little. as far as me ever leaving ESPN 690 and going someplace for college football, you never have to worry about it. Because one thing I will never do on the radio is try to generate fake, you know, uh, fake just like enthusiasm. I'm I'm, I'm always going to keep it 110 percent real, Brent. So go ahead and ask me what I think about Alabama being number five right now. What do you believe, think about Alabama being number five? See what happens at the end of the season, you know? Oh, yeah. Go ahead and ask me what I think about Minnesota right now being number eight. What do you think about Minnesota? Yeah, we'll see if they can win out. You know, we'll see what happens at the rest of the season. Ask me what I think about uh, Baylor being whatever they are. I'm not number... asking you anymore. Yeah, because you, you see where I'm going with this. I where, see where you go with this. But... It, it's going to – everything will play out. And you know what? And, and when the smoke clears and when the dust settles, maybe there's going to be one school or at the most two schools that get screwed out of the college football playoff but until that time i'm just gonna i'm gonna put it in cruise control because you know what i, I don't go to a movie in the and I, and I don't get out the middle of them and say you know what this movie sucks no i wait till the ending and then i and then i evaluate what's going on i'll be like all right either this movie was good or this movie sucks but I'm, what i'm not gonna do is get passionate you know three-fourths of the way through the college football season when the stuff hasn't shaken out yet yeah, but here's where I think that uh, while I understand that and things yeah. will shake out, mm-hmm. I get it. And and by the way, yes, is this a there's a little bit of I like the rank. I've said this a million times. Yeah. with Jason Fitz, the, yeah. the college football committee loves this. College oh, I know, football man. The, the, this is why the they're debate. not going to a 16 team thing because they love the debate. Absolutely. And I'm guilty of it. I get. Yeah. It. And I don't disagree with you, too, but I do have this part mm-hmm. of it. The way you set things up right now for the next three, four weeks and month or whatever it is can also dictate if there is Armageddon in the top 10, Mm -hmm. how things shake out. So you are putting teams in position. So my point is, if you only drop Alabama to number five, or even if you keep them at number four, well, what if we get to a point where you only have, you have a bunch of these teams with one loss, and and now we're comparing things, but that, that team that's really down at number eight probably should get in. You know what I mean? It's harder to craft the way into the postseason unless you're just going to get a lot of help along the way. And we haven't had that situation in college football yet where everything has just been a train wreck. Yeah, It's usually fallen into place, right? There have been very little bit of, so to your point, there's been very little controversy. Alabama getting in the one year, Ohio State getting in the one year, but both did very well, so it didn't matter. 
Now, there's all sorts of scenarios, and this is why we like to do it. What if? What if Georgia loses to Auburn, beats LSU, and now has two losses? That's the point right right there. So do you think Georgia, and I get it, Georgia, if you want to break this down, we can say Georgia's played a tougher schedule than Alabama, which I would 100% agree with. But you don't mean to tell me that maybe, just maybe, Georgia's number four right now because they are playing Auburn, and that's going to be like the you know like the, the matchup of the, the week. Telltale, yeah. exactly. And and Alabama. No offense to our fans out there, but they're playing Mississippi State, yes. and that's not going to be much of a game. No offense to the Bulldog fans out there, but let's I stop kidding is. ourselves. So I mean, awesome if Mississippi State wins, and then I'll be right. But here's the thing, though, Brent. It's, this isn't an exact science. This is a committee saying, well, let's see the schedule this week. Ooh, Georgia, well, Auburn. Let's, but yeah, but I see, but like, well, let's see the schedule this week. Oh, Georgia playing Auburn. Yeah, let's go ahead and put Georgia at number four because that way, you know, it, it's kind of like, can they maintain that four spot? Like, to me, I get it. It's not an exact science. That's what makes it so exciting. But that's what also kind of makes it just like, let me wait till this all shakes out because if, if you want to start putting Georgia wants to be number four because they're playing Auburn this week, then I really don't care what you what your rankings yeah, are. I, yeah, I get I get what you're saying. And, yeah. uh, I guess for me, when I see, I don't wear any of the goggles. Okay, mm-hmm. I don't. I don't. If, if Alabama wins, fine. I mean, sure, am I a little fatigued on them? Probably. But <laughs> yeah. if Georgia wins, great. If Florida wins, great. If if LSU wins, great. Like I don't. Uh, a lot of problems when you have conversations with people in college football world. They they have a side. Of course, and that's okay. Yeah, because they have a team. So yeah. you can't talk to me like logically about it though. Mm-hmm. Like I, I'm still waiting for the person to tell me why Alabama is good. They have yet to do, do that. Yeah, because they're Alabama. That's because, all they do. Because they have a lot of draft picks coming out next year. That's it. That's yeah. why they're telling me they're good. Okay, but I can't prove it. So that's my point. And you're and also bring up the fact that they're playing with a quarterback with one foot right now. <laughs> yeah. Because he obviously can hardly walk on that thing. Mm-hmm. Now he can shoot it up, all that stuff. I don't know. Can he do it after that injury? I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, but the so we'll see. We'll see how it all. I, I get it. I listen. If we're going to do this, though, I kind of want a logical path. I want logic to be involved in this at some point. Okay. In terms of the measurables, and the bottom line is, and this is why we talk in circles on it, is there's really not. You know, there's no because uh, you know I, it's all measurables. They don't all play each other, and so that's I'm, we're always going to have this ambiguity and this reason for debate and. But I also think that is why it's fun, too. I'm going to get off the couch, though, Brett, and I'm going to come meet you, and I'm going to say, you know what? If they can take anything with them and, and make one guaranteed thing that should abide by all um, of these you know, playoff-eligible teams, it's the fact that if you play in a Power 5 conference and you're undefeated, you're going to the playoffs. That's that's my only shindig. And, and, everything and by else the way, that kind of is, is. It's an unwritten well, rule. Yeah, because you can't have five of them. But but then I can sit here and say, well, if Baylor goes undefeated. Are they going to the college football playoff? We can't say that for sure right now. You know what I'm saying? That's so, fair. Yeah. And part of the reason you can't say that for sure is because of where Alabama is. Cur- okay. Okay. Uh, 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 That's my point. Okay. And and I see your point. But my point is, like, listen, let's see what happens. Let's see if Baylor can beat Oklahoma. Twice, you know, because that's probably what's going to happen. Yeah. Let's see if they can beat them twice. Let's see what happens with Alabama. All that stuff. But my only rule and my only thing should be if, if you're undefeated in a Power 5 conference, you win the conference championship, obviously, because you're undefeated, you should be able to go. All right. Well, uh, by the way, P.J. Fleck, I'm rowing the hell out of this Minnesota boat, <laughs> so you better not lose to Iowa this week. Better keep this going for another week, happen. buddy. <laughs>
That's a rivalry game now. No, it is, man. It's, it's a huge game. I, actually, I like Minnesota. I hope John Bachman's not listening. I like Minnesota that game still, but obviously the Ohio State test is going to be the big one. All right. Way to blow up the rundown, by the way. You know, I wanted to come out of the gates with Foles and Minshew. Foles and Minshew. Jags. And here we are talking about the college Dude, football playoff. you're the one playoff. talking about Alabama people coming after you on Twitter. That sounds like some other station in town. Let's go. Let's We're going to move and talk to NFL. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to talk <laughs> Foles and Minshew next. Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. It was amazing, you know, with medicine. You know, you get a hairline fracture um, where you don't need surgery. It can take longer to where where you snap it. You need surgery and put a plate in there. It can actually heal quicker. Um, so snapping it actually helped it. A little more painful, but, you know, I, I get to, you know, buzz every time I go through the airport now. I get to get stopped and checked. So it's, a, it's just I get to meet more people. That's Nick Foles trying to find the positive side of that broken clavicle. I'll tell you what, I watched this guy's news conference, and, you know, we hadn't really talked or heard from or seen Nick Foles in a couple of months. It's really strange how some guys, like, he is, for lack of a better word, and you can take this whatever way you want. I don't mean it in a bad way at all, but he is kind of a preachy kind of guy, guy you know. I mean, he... He talks God and Jesus and, and shares his faith and and, um, and is not afraid to. And we'll talk a lot about that. Uh, you know, shoot, Russell Wilson does it. Uh, Tim Tebow has done it. I yeah. mean, but and and a lot of people have done it. Okay, yeah, I'm just saying. To, to be fair, like from the Jaguars' perspective, Rasheed Mathis used to do that Rasheed sometimes. Mathis do it. Yeah. yeah. So uh, again, players do it. Yeah. But some people do it at length. Mm-hmm. You know, and. Uh, and they believe they're they're just you can really tell it's in there just how much it it's part of them in their heart and and everything goes back to that you know and there was a little bit of that in the Nick Foles press conference um and and listen I understand some people like that some people don't like it. so let's just talk football uh you, we can have those conversations that's yeah. fine but what I'm getting at here is I've said this a lot about Nick Foles where there is a sense of peace about a player that's been through some of the things he's been through, where I want to retire, I've been injured, I can't win a starting job, and then the successes, where if you get to 30 years old and you've been through all those things in the NFL and this public lifestyle where a lot of pressure and the hardest position in sports to play, it's kind of cool to see Foles in the place he's in. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a respect for that. And I have no idea if that means Jags can go five and two or six and one or three and four or two and five with them. I, that, that doesn't correlate. But it's it's not very often that jumps out at you is, is what I'm getting at. That's kind of like you see that. I mean, he, you can absolutely see that he has this from getting hurt yeah. to not playing to this journey that he's on in Jacksonville to get in the big contract, all that stuff. He it's almost like it does not matter what happens to Nick Foles. He'll be fine and he's going to stay this even keel way, be confident, be he is who he is. He's yeah. comfortable in his own skin. And you know what? It's what we applauded Gardner Minshew for for of the course. last couple of months, being comfortable with who you are. Yeah. You know, there is not a phony thing about Gardner Minshew, and to be honest with you, it doesn't appear there's not a phony thing about Nick Foles. No, and there's sure. something about that. There's something kind of cool seeing that jump off the page or in front of a microphone or whatever it is, or and you can really feel it when you're in the room, yeah. right? So, to that point, I'm watching this news conference. And this now is aside from all the the faith-based stuff. Nick Foles, in my opinion, (laughs) is if you had to label 
Gardner Minshew and label Nick Foles. You would say, Gardner Minshew, man, that guy is fun, right? That guy's sure. awesome. This is great. I want to be around. I'll go have a beer with that guy. Yeah. Nick Foles would be boring. Yeah. You, okay? Yeah, yeah, okay. Outside looking in. Okay. okay. Again, I'm not, this is an unknock. I'm just saying, if you're going to label. Yet that guy, as he watched, as I'm listening to him talk in 10 or 15 minutes, I could see why all those players in the room gravitate to him. And I almost felt like, let's go play that football game today. Yeah. I got Listening you. to him talk. Mm-hmm. That's a weird thing. Mm-hmm. I don't think that, usually you've got to go, you've got to get me fired up, man, and start yelling at me, in football especially, to yeah. say, let's go run through that wall. I'm with you. We're going to beat the Colts. Mm-hmm. Weird. It's a weird thing with Foles where he does not necessarily do that. In fact, it doesn't even look like there's that kind of fire in the belly. But mm-hmm. the way he says it, the way it comes off, it's almost like I bet that resonates with guys. So, like, I want to go play with this guy, win for this guy, help this guy get W's. Sure. Strange feeling of watching that thing today. For yeah. Me. So, so first of all, I, I know we kind of put the, the faith thing to the side, but I want to rehash it real quick here. And, listen, when, when it comes to faith, I, I'm, I'm not the biggest guy at faith. I'll, I'll be the first one to say that. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not. Um, but I do respect the people that are because – and it's not just faith. It's anything that requires the passion. And I think in the NFL, Brent, there, there's kind of two there, there's two sides to faith, right? There's the guys that um, like like Foles, who who are genuine. Um, you know, they, they, they preach it 24 seven and and they stand by it. And there's other guys who they may come across as as you know being strong in faith, but sometimes when it's only convenient, you know. And I'm just gonna leave it at that. But my point is the fact that with guys like Foles, and I play with guys like Rasheed Mathis, guys like that, where Guys that are really strong in their faith that I've encountered in football, when things don't go their way, say they have an injury, say maybe they even get cut, um, or just maybe something bad happens to them off the field, uh, they have a tendency to stay more grounded and calm and collected, you know, because... I guess they can just handle the adversity better. And you, you can call that faith. You can just call that being impassioned, somebody, whatever it is. But I'm just saying from what I experienced, it's always the guys that, you know, were, even Aaron Campman was another perfect example. Aaron Campman was a man of faith as well. You know, and he would preach it sometimes. I mean, he led uh, like a, a chapel sometimes, um, you know, in the stadium. So, like, those guys are just special in the fact that nothing seemed to get to them. So now let's fast forward to what you're talking about with Nick Foles in that press conference. Yes, he's not the Gardner Minshew type. He's not wearing the jock strap. He he <laughs> Nick Foles doesn't have Cam Soda asking him, you know, for all these sponsorships, whatever it is. But I think like Nick Foles is just he's so strong. Like we we talk about we we preach how Gardner Minshew knows who he is. Um and I've mentioned that at the senior bowl. I'm like, there's something about this guy where he just he completely knows who he is, he doesn't care what people think. Well, Nick Foles is the same way. And and I think sometimes men of faith are the same way where they know exactly who they are, they know exactly where their priorities are, and then there's just a hierarchy and it goes down and down and down. And obviously football is probably a, a big on the hierarchy to Nick Foles. But obviously his faith is number one. So I think that even if guys aren't like, you know, true believers or guys maybe don't share the exact same passion for Nick Foles' faith, the fact that he can exemplify exactly who he is in that locker room, whether they believe or not, guys are going to respect that here's and want to follow that. And here's here's the way. As you talk about it, and I've talked about it, and I think about it a little bit more, and, and what comes across to me with Foles, again, we haven't been around this guy a lot. Mm. I mean, he's probably talked really – I don't know, 10, 12 times since he's been here. That's it. Uh, he's he's turned down all one-on-one interviews and all. He wants to 
be team focused, but we really haven't had a chance to kind of get to know Nick Foles and see Nick Foles like the people in Philadelphia did or, or anywhere else. So I think we're still learning about this guy, and now we're being reminded of this guy since he's going to be the starting quarterback going forward uh, starting this week against Cincinnati. But I think what it all comes back to, and you played a game in the NFL and professional athletes to me can be. Now, this is not a label. This can be, and you can say this even more, phony. Mm-hmm. They can be not you don't really know like what's the the age old thing from a media perspective is like we really think we know who these guys are. We have no idea who these guys are. Sure. Right. I mean, you I, can oh, talk yeah, to a guy. Yeah. He lets off the nicest, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, you know, you're I'm laughing because you're absolutely right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, then so that's the point. I'll, I could give you countless examples, too. Yeah. I won't. Mm-hmm. But I think what comes back to a guy like Minshew in, in a different way because he's young. So he still has to do it for a longer time to gain the, the really grab the locker room. But really falls, even though he doesn't fire you up necessarily and going to rah-rah you to death, is this there's this authenticity and genuine nature about him. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that's in any walk of life is hard to ignore for people. And it's and it's easily detectable. Mm-hmm. Usually you can tell who the phony guy is. Yeah. And you might even be wrong if you judge that person and say that guy's kind of phony. Yeah. But you might be wrong. Authenticity, a genuine nature to somebody, that you usually can detect. And I think he oozes that much the way Paul Pozlesny did, yeah. much the way Calais Campbell does. And there are countless examples, but those are ones that come to mind where you combine that authenticity with good football player, good resume. Mm-hmm. And I want to do whatever I can for that guy. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what football's all well, about. You want to be able to do whatever you can do for that next guy. It might just be one, the guy playing right next to you, or it might be the guy throwing you the football, or it might be the guy leading the the, the defensive huddle. Mm-hmm. But you want you have to trust, right? And mm-hmm. and the, and it's an ultimate team game. So that's where that comes into play, and those guys can be successful because of it. And it's funny because I've talked to new numerous offensive linemen. And some have blocked for great quarterbacks, and some, you know, teams I've been a part of blocked for, you know, some quarterbacks that were lacking, let's just say, uh, and a nice way to put it. And, you know, I've asked them many times. I'm like, in your eyes, what makes a great quarterback? Like, what kind of personality? Because, you know, I'm, I'm all about the psychology of players, especially the quarterbacks, because they're kind of the double standard. And I would always go, like, do you want, like, the rah-rah type to kind of motivate you a little bit? Do you want more of the calm, cool, collected guy? What kind of quarterback do you prefer to block to? And... I'll be honest, probably nine times out of ten, over 90% of the times I ask offensive linemen this, and I've asked Joe Thomas, I've asked a lot of guys this question, and they always come back with the same thing. They want the guy that's calm and collected. They they don't want the guy that's up one minute and yeah. down the next minute, because if you're winning and you're having a great game, it's super easy to celebrate, and it's easy to high-five and, you know, like kind of cuss up a storm and just have fun. You know, like, that's fantastic. But when you're in the trenches and things aren't going your way and you're in the middle of the playoffs or whatever you're doing, you're fighting for a division, and you guys are losing, the last thing you want to have as a general is a guy that's going to panic and yell. You you want to have that general. You, you, you want to have the leader of your team in that huddle be calm, cool, and collected and say, you know what, guys? We're all right. Even though there's bullets flying above your yeah. head, you know, and obviously I'm, this isn't. This isn't real, but I'm, I'm comparing this, you know. So if there's bullets flying over your head or, or you're down by 10 with, you know, a couple minutes to go, you want the guy that's calm and collected because that's the guy that's going to calm everybody else around in order for those guys to do their job. And I think with Nick Foles, more than anybody right now, I think Nick Foles has that characteristic about him. 
He certainly does. And yeah. and again, I think age goes into that. Some of the battles, the trials and tribulations of his life on the field, off the field, all those things go into that. And I, I the moment isn't too big because of that. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. He's in the, he's in that moment, whatever it is, he's in this this zone that he's not coming out of. I mean, mm-hmm. it is who he is. So I uh, I can. And, and I say all this, folks, without saying that means they're going six and one the rest of the way. Yeah. I, I have no idea how he's going to play. Mm-hmm. I just I guess I was just reminded of it watching Nick Foles. I mean, I sat there watching and then I just couldn't take my eyes off. And I'm thinking of all this stuff going through. I'm like, like he actually did. I really leave that news conference thinking those guys might watch this and be like, let's go play today. And in a weird way, I kind of did, yeah. even though he said nothing that would that you would put a quote on the wall. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But there was just this authenticity about it. Okay, that's kind of Nick Foles with the vibe and the, and the player, and he's taken over this football team, and he's handled all this really well. But how is he going to play? Mm-hmm. Let's get into that next. Uh, Jaguars, a few days away from a very important football game. Nick Foles will be at quarterback. We'll talk about it, hear more from Foles, hear from Gardner Minshew as well. Coming up on Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. It's not about us. It really isn't. And if you make it about yourself, you're probably going to go home at night, lay your head on your pillow, and be very alone and very sad. My purpose isn't football. It's impacting people. And I, my, my ministry happens to be the locker room. And I've been able still to get to know people, get to know these guys through an injury. Though I might not be playing, that is difficult from a fleshly perspective. But from the spiritual perspective, from my heart, I've been able to grow as a human being to where I feel like I'm at a better situation here as a person than I was before because of the trial I just went under. And I know that's a sermon in itself, but... That's how I go through life. That's Nick Foles. That's what we were talking about a little bit. I Preaching. Mean, yeah, he went on and on. And uh, it was interesting how, you know, he referred to the locker room. And, uh, again, that, that stuff wasn't, like, being made up. That was, like, that wasn't like a rehearsed thing. That's just kind of who he is, you know, yeah. and uh, how he sees it, how he views it. I, I think what's important there, it doesn't mean everybody else has to view it that way. Mm-hmm. That's how he views it, right? And so that's the best way for him to get – uh, belief in his teammates and, and knowing his teammates. And he's really taken that. I've not seen a player come in here and taken the, as much of a concerted effort to get to know teammates, to lay that foundation, to kind of understand the role that he is a new guy in a locker room that has a lot of players that have been around mm-hmm. in a new place, but he also comes in as the guy. Mm-hmm. And he understands that role. I think that's a hard thing to do. Think about going into any business, especially if you've, you've done something in like a management role, mm-hmm. right? And you're coming in. I think that's a hard thing to do. A, a lot of people will say, I think, uh, at least from what I've listened to, whether it's Shad Khan taking ownership of the Jags or business people and say, they like to come in and observe for a while, see how it is, and then maybe start moving and shaking and doing some things or implementing some things rather than bam, right off the rip, walk in the door and say, this is the way we're doing it. Now, Sports are a little different. Coaches want to get in there and change their culture, right? But from a player standpoint, it was interesting to watch Foles do this in the spring. And again, from afar, and we're not in the locker room, and, and try to lay that foundation. It was very different uh, that, that I think I've experienced. Now, why is that different? Well, because we haven't seen a quarterback of his stature in terms of MVP, Super Bowl MVP, big-time free agent come in here. To Jacksonville, we haven't seen that. That's the first time, like at least that I've been covering him, that that's happened. And so to see him do some of those things and take those steps, 
I thought was pretty unique in, in an already unique situation. Yeah, you know, and I've shared this story before with Alex Smith when I first got there. Like, we had lunch together because he wanted to know who, who the new guy was that was coming on the team, yeah. you know? And then when I was in Seattle and I was hoping to sign a contract, it didn't work out. But when I was in Seattle, Russell Wilson, when I was eating lunch by myself, just, you know, they're, uh, they're kind of getting in and out of meetings. They had some free time. Russell Wilson comes up to me, who I played against before in college, so we kind of knew each other a little bit. But he comes up to me. He's like, hey, man, what are you doing? Like, you know, like, are, are you getting ready to sign? What's up? Like, he, he just kind of was curious because, you know, if I was to sign, well, then I'm his teammate and, and I'm one of the newer guys. So I, I think it is very telling, Brent, because not every locker room is like that. And not every quarterback or leader of the football team is like that. Um, and I think it says not something for only the locker room dynamic and the, and the character uh, and the culture in the locker room, but also just what kind of person, you know, that the quarterback is. And I think that if they go out of their way to see, you know, even if it's the last guy in the team, even if it's the last guy to make the roster, the fact that they still go out of their way to kind of know what's going on, they have all their bases covered, I think that says a lot about the culture of a football team. Yeah, and so now all of that, what does it mean on the field, essentially? Mm -hmm. And what does that do for the Jacksonville Jaguars these final seven games? I mean, that's at the end of the day, that's what it is. I mean, all this is great and dandy, and wow, that's how you do it, and other teams do it, and veteran quarterbacks have done it, and leaders have t Great. But now you need results. And like any other person coming into a building or, or any job, you need results. And especially in this kind of business, they need results. And they need them in a hurry because they're four and five. I will go back to some of our conversations that we've had. And that is how much of this offense is about to evolve with Nick Foles in it. Now, a lot of people, uh, I've seen a little bit of chatter today. And I think even Foles was asked about it. Like, hey, Frank Reich knows who you are. So... Isn't he going to know what to expect and what to scheme for? I guess to a degree, <laughs> no, but I yeah, mean, you don't know the playbook, well, you know, and you don't yeah. know what kind of plays you're going to run. My point is, I do think there is somewhat of a subtle advantage. How big that is, we don't know, because nobody ever said, hey, uh, Minshew was running 64 percent of the playbook. But how much will we see on Sunday that we haven't seen glimpses of formations, looks, the use of the tight end, throwing it over the middle of the field, more the willingness to throw the deep ball to Conley. Uh, you know, those things, there are some things that have been out there that haven't been executed by the Jaguars and Minshew that maybe we get a chance to see. And, uh, I mean, we have to wait till Sunday around 4 o'clock to find that out. Well, well, guess what? And I guess if you want to sit here and tell me that the Colts have advantage now because, you know, their head coach has worked with Nick Foles before, but then I can turn that around and say, well, then know the Jaguars have the advantage because Nick Foles has literally worked with their head coach. He he knows what the philosophy that he likes to run. He knows the plays. Yeah. I'm sure he knows some of the calls as well because that's the thing with coaches, man. Once they once they find what they like and everything, now they may change up the, the verbiage just a little bit, but they kind of stick true to their guns. You know what I mean? Yeah, eventually they adapt, but... I don't think, you know, Reich has adapted from Philadelphia back in 2016, 2017 to the Colts now. I don't think he's adapted that much. So if you want to say the Colts have the advantage now, I can turn it around and say, well, the Jaguars have the advantage because their former, because the starting quarterback of the Jaguars has played for the head coach before. Let me ask you this. Who benefits most on offense from Nick Foles playing? Want me to give you some? Uh, want to yeah, give you? I mean, I mean, I'll give you ideas. Yeah. No. Well, you you kind of <laughs> wrinkled your nose at this question, but I'll give you a Chris Conley. Okay. See, I don't know if you're going. Okay. Josh Oliver. Gotcha. C offensive line. Mm -hmm. You know, here's another thing. Okay. 
Another thing that uh, that we talked about back in the summer, because I remember Doug Marone saying it when Nick Foles was introduced. And I remember asking, I think you and and some other folks kind of investigated this a little bit and said, what the hell does that even mean? And it was one of the great things about Foles is as an offensive lineman, Marone said this and then other offensive linemen said it, you know where he's going to be. Mm-hmm. And so. That's why I bring up the offensive line, right? What will he make easier on the offensive line from checks, from picking up blitzes, from doing all these different things, Mm -hmm. and from knowing where he's going to be? That Again, I'm bringing you guys back to the conversations that were part of the summer when this guy was going to be the quarterback for 16 games. Mm -hmm. And I think we almost have to be refreshed on this. Chris Conley was fantastic in August with him. There's no denying that. And I continue to tell you that Chris Conley would not be here in Jacksonville if Nick Foles wasn't the quarterback. I genuinely believe that. I think J- Nick Foles made that happen, or at least suggested it to happen. Uh, Josh Oliver, now listen, in fairness to Gardner Minshew, Josh Oliver was out the entire time. But we know the usage of tight ends in Flip's offense and also with Foles in, in Philadelphia. And yes, they had more talented ones and better tight ends, obviously. But they like to use them. So, but that offensive line thing, you know, Blake Bortles, Nobody knew where the heck he was going to be mm-hmm. when he was back there. I started to understand what they were talking about, even though it's fun to watch. Well, Minshew is kind of that way, right? They didn't have a trust factor relationship with Minshew. They hadn't played with him very much. And then on top of that, he is scrambling around. He would bail out maybe a little bit earlier than some expected. Again, I'm not trying to knock Minshew here. I'm just trying to find where Foles develops this offense better than it may have been, better than three points against Houston, better than six points against New Orleans, better than 12 points against Houston. They have to score more than that. Mm. Where do they find more success? Who benefits from Nick Foles being the quarterback of this football team maybe more than anybody else? I gave you three options. Am I missing somebody? you are missing somebody. So I have made my decision. Uh, And granted, let's be honest. We think this offense is going to be better now with Foles than it was meant to. So a lot of players I don't know if it is. Well, the the Jaguars think he is, or else he wouldn't be starting. Oh, good point. So with that, you know, philosophy, we can assume that a lot of players in that offense will be elevated a little bit. But I think one guy is going to be elevated more than anybody. Do you know who I'm thinking? Um, I'm not going to Leonard Fournette because he had a heck of a first oh, half. DJ Chark oh, you should, first you half. Said go for the, you should go to Leonard Fournette. Why? Because if you look at Nick Foles' history, and if you look at the Eagles' history when he played there. It's that the running back was always was always utilized. Now, I'm not comparing this Jaguars team to the 2017 Philadelphia Super Bowl champion Eagles. Please don't. Not doing that. But when I look at the things that they're running, and I look at the wide receivers where they don't really have, I mean, I guess DJ Chark, would you consider DJ Chark probably the number one receiver now, right? I, like he, I have he, to. He, he's he's the touchdowns. Yeah, he has the stats to back it up. So Chark's the number one receiver. But I think what they're going to try to do now that Foles is back, listen, when they had success, guys like LeGarrette Blount and J.A. Jaya, now granted, uh, Jaya was out when Foles came back, but guys like Coy Clement, guys like Wendell Smallwood, they were the featured running back but also the featured receiver. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and sometimes especially when you're coming back from an injury, and I get it, Foles should be ready to go. I don't think he's has any rust on him. That's kind of the message he's purveying here. But assuming maybe he comes back and, you know, the game's a little fast for him to start things off, especially against a pretty good Colts defense, there's nothing better to use to get kind of your feet grounded again than two things. The tight end, which right now, I'll be honest, the Jaguars don't have, and the running back. 
And I think Fournette, being that bell cow that he is, being uh, you know being a pretty good legit guy in the receiving game, and also being a pretty powerful runner, I think that Leonard Fournette, and it's hard to say because he had such a good first half of the, the NFL season. I think Leonard Fournette can even have a second better half, especially in the receiving game. That's really interesting, and you know it's, we're going to take it to the wall that says it all in just a little mm-hmm. bit. And there's a play on there that we think. Leonard Fournette could have had his hands on, uh, not the one he dropped in Houston, but that he's open and Gardner doesn't find him. Again, that happens on every play almost. It feels like that sometimes there's a guy open you don't find. But uh, it wasn't the only time it's happened this year, so to that point. But I do think, and I'm trying to look it up real quick while we're talking, but Leonard Fournette already has quite a bit of receptions. I think he's up to around 35 receptions, if I'm not mistaken. So. Maybe yeah, five seven two six four two sure. six four four. He's up to forty. Yeah. He's got forty receptions this season, which you know. And and it, you bring up another. And I don't know how much of this is DeFilippo, how much of that's Foles, how much of it's Minshew related. But it reminds me of another conversation we had. You know, you sitting there and and watching some of the practices in the in training camp, and you're like, holy cats! I mean, Leonard Fournette might have sixty five catches this year. Yeah. Well, guess what? He's on pace. Well on his way. And so, again, I think it's more of a system thing with Filippo, but mm-hmm. I don't disregard what you're saying about finding him the football, too. But also, let's go ahead and take this into account. And I said Leonard but Fournette. But is he going to catch more ju- than 40 passes? Well, but you're not looking at the big picture here. Yes, he's going to have, I think, more receptions for sure. But also, I think the running lane's going to open up a little as well. Because now teams maybe who want to stack the box and meet a, uh, you know, have a rookie quarterback from Washington State try to beat you, well, they can't do that anymore. And I get it. Foles hasn't shown anybody anything yet this season besides one pass to DJ Chark in the end zone. But if we assume this offense does take another step up and does, you know, rise in another echelon, well, then teams can't stack the box anymore. And teams are going to have to respect the Jacksonville Jaguars receiving game and especially their quarterback. And if they can do that, that also opens up the run game as well. Okay, I like your um, your write-in answer. But uh, I also mm-hmm. like the fact you tried to go D all the above on the other three. So humor me. And of the three that I mentioned, Josh what? Oliver, Chris Conley, and the offensive line. Oh, Chris Conley then, all day. All day? All day, I think. Yeah, because it's, listen, Chris Conley is here for a reason, right? And a big reason is because of Nick Foles. Or, I'm sorry, it's the other way around. Did Conley get here first or did Foles get here first? No, Foles was here. Yeah, Foles got here first. Yeah, I mean, Chris Conley came. And I think that I'm you, pretty sure Nick Foles got here and said, hey, you need another if, you, if you're looking for another guy, I got a guy. And listen, and we saw this all in the OTAs. We saw this in training camp, especially on the deep ball, especially on the goal route. Chris Conley was that guy. Chris Conley was almost like the DJ Chark to Gardner Minshew. He was. You know, so I think you have to go Chris Conley for sure in this fact, just because, you know, he's, he's showed some okay performances, but he, he hasn't had that, in my opinion. Had the one good game. Yeah, he, but he hasn't had, like, that above and beyond game, right? He hasn't had that one where it's like, ah, I, I, I see why the Jags went after him so yeah, hard yeah. now. So from that perspective, I think Chris Conley gets a big benefit. Now, now, keep in mind, let's be, Chris, they went after Chris Conley as, like, a third wide receiver option. They did not have go after, they, they thought, hey, maybe the guy can really elevate his game because he's been stuck in Kansas City behind a lot of weapons. But they did not like there wasn't like this pie in the sky thought on Chris Conley that if they sign him, all of a sudden he's going to the Pro Bowl. All pro Chris um, Conley. Yeah. I know you guys out there. I listen, I see that sometimes. But, uh, okay. but, but so my point is But like who who was the guy that was catching all, all the go routes and training oh, no, camp no, no, from no, Nicole? No, I'm not you know, like, that. I'm not to well, me that's a one receiver, man. In, yeah. I yeah, I just have a I have a hard time getting there. 
Yeah. And I love Chris Conley. I mean, mm-hmm. but I just have a hard time saying, okay, well, now all of a sudden he's going to become. The, I think DJ Chark has established himself, and I also think don't sleep on D.D. Westbrook, even though he's probably going to be hurt most of the year and he's going to have to play through that stuff. I, I think he is still your dangerous weapon in the passing game, D.D. Westbrook. That probably has been underutilized. One because he's been a little banged up, mm-hmm. and two just been underutilized. I believe now, and I am not one of these guys that sits there. When I watch the tape, all right, but I don't. But what I do watch is these shows that we do, and other people break down the tape, and I watch other people break down the tape that know it a lot better than me and, and, and do a pretty good job of it. And I would say of the player that Gardner Minshew missed open the most or at least given opportunities the most, mm-hmm. it was Chris Conley. Mm. Is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. You know what I mean? Yep. Yes. Like, so... Chris Con and, and and there's several things about this now. Again, everything sounds like I'm beating up Gardner Minshew here. I'm not trying to do that. What, what, instead, he might have found Chark on the play for a successful play. Yeah. But I think what naturally happens is Minshew worked with Chark in the preseason. Mm-hmm. Foles obviously was working with Conley. Well, there was this rapport and this comfortability, and then there was this confidence. And remember, Chark at the beginning of the year was catching everything, man. You could throw it in the parking lot. The guy would run out the tunnel, outside the gates, through the concourse, and catch the football. I mean, he was catching everything, and he still has caught most everything. So I think there was this comfort level with him. And therefore, your eye, and they both playing on opposite sides of the field, too. Mm-hmm. And so, Mishu's eyes are going to where? You're going to take him to number 17 as quick as possible because of that comfort level. Yeah. Well, I wonder, because of the trust factor, will number seven's eyes take him to number 18 on the other side of the field first? Yeah. You know? Yep. So that's what I'm saying here. It's mm-hmm. not, not. It's just natural stuff. Yep. Instinctual stuff. Yeah. Confidence kind of stuff mm-hmm. that could open the door. No, you're absolutely right. And, and I agree with you saying DJ Chark is probably the top. I mean, he's the one receiver now. He you has know? to be. He's got six let's, touchdowns, let's be man. But, but, but I hate, like, we use the term one, two receiver, stuff like that. Well, but, they don't have a true but, Julio Jones. So. Exactly. But but to, to be fair, though, he may be the number one receiver, but you know who's second right now in the team of receptions? Leonard Fournette. There you go. I know. And, and he's only three behind. Yeah. yeah. No, it's been great. Yeah. He's been great out of the backfield. I think he's going to be Leonard better. Leonard Fournette's having a... Uh, that'll be maybe, interesting. Maybe there's bias because he's my fantasy football Record team. this. Everything's fantasy slated with you. It's a bias with you. It is a bias. Or Jackson, I'm just joking, Leonard man. Fournette, it's everything. We're going to the That's wall that says it all when we come back. we got to figure out this dang red zone. We'll Foles figure it out next on ESPN 690. Welcome back here on Action Sports Jackson on ESPN 690. We have come down to the TV studios as we do on a weekly basis nowadays here at CBS 47 and Fox 30. And on the wall that says it all, it's just three downs. And what we're going to do, since we didn't have a game to dissect Mm -hmm. from last week and the bye week, we're going to talk about the big picture, the number one problem the Jaguars have on offense after nine games, red zone efficiency. We've talked it to death Mm -hmm. here on Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690. But now let's show you a little bit about it. And as we always say, and I like to say, you can find this on our social media platforms where we're getting close to hitting one million views. YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Twitch. If you're listening in your car, follow along. We'll try to make it understandable for you and paint the picture, if you will. We're going to start with last the last game in London. Nine to nothing. Texans in the lead over the Jaguars. Two minutes to go in the second quarter. They eventually get a field goal out of this. Makes it nine to three. Yeah. There's a third and six play. 
what goes wrong? So it's funny because we always talk about their formation, and I feel like I say it on a weekly basis now. They're in a two-by-two two kind of bunch formation. This is, the, this is kind of the in formation right now of the NFL, Brent. And before we kind of break these things down, we have to understand, the Jaguars do a pretty good job of moving the ball, you know? But when they get down to the red zone, they're starting to falter a little bit. And the reason, well, there's a couple reasons why, but number one is you can't usually run your same plays that you do getting to the red zone as when you're in the red zone. Play right? the tricks. Yeah, exactly, because for the most part, everything's condensed, yeah, right? field tricks. The field tricks and everything, <laughs> so the defense can adjust from that. So kind of keep that in mind a little bit as we're breaking down some of these plays here. So the first play we got, it's a two-by-two two formation, and basically... It's going to be a pass. And the cool thing with the red zone is the fact that if you have a scrambling quarterback, if you have a dual threat quarterback, that keeps the defense on their toes a little more, right? Because now he can scramble, he can get the first down, he can get in the end zone. And if you're a defensive lineman, you have to change your entire rush in the red zone if you're going against a dual threat quarterback. If you're a defensive lineman, usually you can work a pass rush move, you can work a game. In the red zone, if you're going against a dual threat quarterback, it's more of the bull rushing. It's more about keeping the guy in the pocket and making him uncomfortable. Oh, you yeah. can't make the mistake. Speaking of uncomfortable, I'm a little uncomfortable when you tell me, though, Gardner Minshew is a dual threat quarterback. Now, he's not a dual threat quarterback, but here's the thing, Brent. He can beat you with his legs. We've yes. seen that a couple times. And when I say beat you with his legs, no, the guy is not like uh, he's not like Russell Wilson where he could take off for 40, 50 yards, even though we've seen it a couple times from Minshew. But he has the ability to beat you with his legs and the fact that he can keep the play alive. So defenses have to take note of that. So what happens here? Well, ball's on the 12-yard yeah. line, shotgun formation. You just said bunch formation, third and six, late in the first half in London. Uh, and what happens? So basically what happens here? is they flush him out of the pocket, right? So as far as the pass rushing is concerned, they have one guy that's trying to get hit home, basically. Gardner Minshew feels the pressure now. If he's more of a savvy vet, maybe he stays in the pocket maybe a second longer and sees that he has Leonard Fournette wide open here in the flat. Maybe if he's a little more savvy, he can see that. But let's be honest, if he's a first-year guy, he's starting to feel the pressure on the backside, so he gets out. So he scrambles out. And at this stage, at least, that we're showing you, yeah. Leonard Fournette has snuck out of the backfield. Sure. But... It's not a direct pass to him. There's no, a lot going is, on in Minshew's mind. Now, is, what happened the frame before, the frame after, all those things. I mean, everything happens in a split second. Yeah. Uh, but he, uh, Fournette is available. And by the way, Fournette's back now at like the 17-yard line. Exactly. If he spits well, it out to Fournette, Fournette's probably not getting the first down anyway. Probably not. But at the same time, you have man coverage right here. And if you get the ball to Fournette, maybe he makes one guy miss, and who knows what happens. But, but this slide is where some missed opportunities This is, this is the missed opportunity right here. As you can see, we have the tight end who's circling across, running that out route is pretty much wide open at this point. You and know? that's down and near the six-yard line. That would be at the first down marker. Yeah, well, it could be the six-yard line for a first down or even a touchdown. It's if probably it a touchdown, but yeah. at least a first down. If, if Minshew can lead him. But the problem is he feels a little more pressure. He's on the run. And sometimes when you're on the run, you obviously can't see the full picture, right? You're just trying to... You know, you're trying to avoid getting hit and getting your head taken off, which has happened to him before, especially in Baltimore's first preseason game. So here we have, a, we have the opportunity where he's scrambling, he's trying to keep the play alive, but he's not looking at all his keys. And, you know, not all quarterbacks can do that. I think the benefit with Foles going forward now, is Foles going to be this mobile? Probably not. But the fact is Foles going to have his, his eyes up the whole time, see the bigger picture, and that's where he can really benefit in the red zone. The interesting thing about again, I know you're listening on radio and some people just have the audio of this, but Gardner Minshew now, the line of scrimmage was the 12-yard line. He's yeah. now back at the 23, yeah. and he's rolling to his right, and his eyes, at least in this frame, look way over to the left, it appears, like across yeah. the field. But meanwhile, he's got two receivers on this quadrant of the field, yeah. and one of them is the tight end that appears to be open if he leads him with a good pass. Yeah. And then the other one is... This 
this is Fournette, yeah. who has now worked his way out in the backfield, and mm-hmm. give credit to Fournette because he's now working his way up yeah. the field, and it looks like he could hit Fournette as well. So the thing about this play, too, keep in mind, Brent, is that, yes, he is getting flushed out of the pocket, but he's getting flushed out with the grain. Sometimes you say against the grain yeah, yeah. or it's with the grain. This is where he wants to run. This is where he wants to throw the ball because, you can because, still throw well. because it's to a strong side. Yeah. It's when he's going against the grain where you, you kind of like, oh, a lot of quarterbacks can't make that pass and yeah. you just throw it away. But right here, he's going with the grain, and he has the ability to, like you said, either hit the tight end over here or hit – for net for probably you know a ten yard gain or so. And listen, I think it's you got to say this. Gardner, this is not all on Gardner Minshew, mm-hmm. right? In terms of the red zone inefficiencies. No, it falls His on His numbers have been pretty good. Yeah. But on this play right here, mm-hmm. Mitchell has a couple plays that he could have made. It yeah. Like. And then let's be honest, if you're talking about this Houston game in London, it's probably his worst game overall. That's this a good point. Yeah. All right, let's move on. We're going to be here all day. Yeah. And we could. <laughs> I like the wall that says it all. Yeah. But we got uh, well, we got to hurry a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Now we go to the Bengals game, and this is this is one where people say. There's the old adage, right? It's like, if you can't gain a yard, you're probably not going to win. Correct. Well, this is the first drive of the Cincy game. They uh, they looked like they were playing a JV team. Yeah. They looked like the more Jackson against Cincinnati. Sure. In that first drive of the game, if you go back and remember. But then they get to the one-yard line, and they can't get the football, and they go for it on fourth down, and they can't get a yard. Yeah. And that's a problem. It, it's not. See, that's why it's not just a Minshew problem. Mm. It's the offensive line. It's Leonard Fournette. They are averaging. I want to say it's like 1.8 yards a carry inside the red zone. That ain't getting it done. Correct. So now, if we rewind back to this play right here, we see Leonard Fournette. He actually started in his traditional set about you know five to six yards behind the quarterback. Yeah. He actually motions up to almost like a pistol kind of look. Yeah. And now he's about four yards behind the quarterback. It was odd. So now let's be honest. Now take the offensive line and the blocking out of it. If you look at Leonard Fournette right now, what do you think he's going to do? Well, Leonard Fournette is like in a track position, essentially, in a three-point stance, I guess, from the NFL. But it Mm -hmm. really looks like a track position. And he's literally two and a half yards behind Minshew. Exactly. I think everybody remembers this play if you watch that game. It's like, what is he doing? Like, you can't even get momentum going. Well, so so here's the theory behind it. This is almost like a full-back dive, what they do sometimes. That's what it felt like, Where where the handoff gets gets handed off quicker, right? Where everything happens a little faster. And with Leonard Fournette, if you're coming downhill north to south, that's not a bad call because as soon as he gets the ball, he's going to lower his shoulder, and hopefully you can get a yard. But here's what the Jacksonville Jaguars kind of underestimated a little bit. The fact that they have, oh, I don't know, Brent, all of their, <laughs> all of their receivers, all their offensive linemen bunched them together. Yes. So when you have everybody bunched them together like that, it doesn't leave a lot of room for air because if you're a defensive lineman, if you're an all-pro named Geno Atkins, you know dang well it's going to be a run play. And especially when Leonard Fournette motions in the kind of like this pistol look, you know it's going to be a run play. Because if it was going to be a pass play, they wouldn't motion him up here like that because then the timing gets all thrown off. Yeah, right? Yeah. So keep that in mind. So now That's a good as, key. Exactly. So now as we go forward here, and I don't know if the, the linebacker saw Fournette motion up a little bit closer to the pistol, but it is a key. So now, they hand the ball off and everything. But guess what? It's just it's too clogged up. And, and this is all about push right now. because It's just mono mono right here. This shows you what kind of offensive line you do have because the defensive line knows the run's coming. There is no risk for a pass whatsoever. Sometimes when you run these formations and Fournette's maybe back a little more, okay, maybe it could be a tight end, you know, boot, something like that. Not the case here. We know it's going to be a run. And like you said, Brent, mono mono 
Geno Atkins, one of the best three techniques in the, in the game right now, gets a great push, and the Cincinnati Bengals get off the field on fourth and goal. Yeah, he blew the play up, but also, I mean, think about the numbers game of this. You really, yeah. with the three linebackers back there, or mm-hmm. I don't even know if they're linebackers, actually might be strong safety in it. But with all those, you basically have 11 against 9 at yeah. the very least. Correct. So it's a numbers game. Yeah. And that, it's hard to win. Yeah. So I think a little bit of this, you have to be able to push a yard mm-hmm. if you're an offensive line, and Leonard's running downhill most of the time anyway. He'll help you get the other half a yard if you need you get half he gets half right but a little of this is numbers game stuff not a lot of imagination here yeah he just said we think we're better than you yeah and we're and we weren't exactly and that's all you can do when you're this close to the goal line brent you can't really do a lot of traps you can't run a lot of you know crazy pulling stuff just because that needs time to develop And, and when we're down here on the one yard line it's mono and mono. You don't have time to, you know, kind of bait the defense and do something crazy. So from that perspective, it was mono and mono. Unfortunately, the Jacksonville Jaguars, they don't do well, well here. Jags pull away in this game. They but if the Jags score this touchdown, yeah. they probably win this game 38 to 10. Yeah. I mean, that's the way it felt. Yeah. If they had scored this touchdown right here to open the game, yeah. they'd blow them out. But, but also keep in mind, though, on this exact same drive here, I think it was either first or second down, Garner mentioned almost threw a pick six as well. He did, actually. That ball, yeah. that flipped. They were right. Yeah. Point. And that would have been a mistake. That's, a, that's and, two and, mistakes and, in the and, red and, zone. And that would have been a huge mistake. And we're only mistake. showing one. Exactly. All right, let's go to the last play before we get to get out of here. Absolutely. And uh, this, this is going all the way one. back to the infamous two-point conversion, which sure. right now looms large in this season. Absolutely. It really does. I mean, you, we can't understate that. Yeah. That was a, it's a gutsy decision. We all believe it wasn't a great play call. Now everybody will remind me it was a an RPO, so it was yeah. a read pass option. I don't care what it was. It was a run play that didn't work, and it cost you the football game, so it didn't work. Exactly. But why didn't it work? <laughs> so yeah, exactly. So like you said, Brent, this is a run pass option, and I'm not sure if it was Gardner Minshew's call or if it was John DeFilippo's call, but somebody said we're going to run the ball, okay? Because you know you know how the RPO works. It's usually the quarterback's call. It's usually the quarterback. But what LA did great so did so great last year is the fact that Sean McVay they get to the line as fast as possible. When he gets to the line as fast as possible, McVay has about three or four seconds to say, you know what, run, pass. So he's actually kind of calling what he wants uh, Jared Goff to do. Now here, I assume this is Gardner Minshew's call because this is a two-point conversion. Um, they weren't rushing to the line. So all things considered, this is probably Minshew's call right now. And, and I understand. We're kind of in, in another, once again, kind of a bunch formation. But well, they actually split some guys out on this one. Well, we got one guy split out here, but... There's, there's still like here's my philosophy. Conley, yeah. I think. But but here's my philosophy, and here's where teams have success in the red zone a little more. We have a guy in the slot that I think is kind of closer to the line than he is split away, okay. right? Fair enough. I think if you have the Jacksonville Jaguars wide receiving core, they can all beat you one on one, right? And if you go back to this formation, how they're set up, they had what they wanted. They had one on one coverage. They did. So. From this kind of formation, you want to see picks. You, you want to see the screens because that's so yeah. big in the NFL. Absolutely. Now, yeah, granted, sometimes that, money. sometimes that can get called, but to, to ask a corner to play one-on-one on somebody is hard enough already. So what, you but run now, a pick play, the way, you run a pick play here, it gets yeah. called, and then you go kick the extra point. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. And you, you kind of saw this is really like a rub play coming over here. But obviously they're on the ball, so it doesn't really matter. But my point going forward now for the Jacksonville Jaguars is to get these spread formations kind of like this and run these rub plays, run these pick plays, put the defensive backs in bad positions because you have the receivers to do it. Chris Conley, D.D. Westbrook, D.J. Chark, they're all capable of being red zone targets. And also, don't forget, a lot of teams have success too in the red zone with the receiving running back. And yeah. Leonard Fournette can be that guy. Now, is he the most shifty guy? 
probably not. But if you can get Leonard Fournette in some routes too as well, kind of like the Patriots love to do with James White, I feel like they can have some success there as well. I still think to, uh, to sum this up, this also, by the way, this illustration, it, it, to kind of tell you if you're not watching it, this, some, this is a little bit of a tell on the offensive line again. Now, this is week two offensive line where they were not as good. Correct. They have been getting better and better. Yeah. But look at, this ball started at the two, man. Look where Leonard Fournette's got the ball now at the four and a half yard line. Yeah. And the, the offensive line is being driven back. So, but, so they are not winning yeah. in the trenches on this play, and that does not help. This is a great individual effort by Leonard Fournette to yeah. make it even close. Yeah. And remember, you're kind of not even sure if he did get in or not, but yeah. reviews show that he didn't. It's a great individual effort. These guys got to do a better job up there. Well, and you know what? And take the X's and, all, X's and O's out of it real quick. I want to show you two things that you can tell where the offensive line was struggling a little bit. And I want to go back to the second board if you can real quick. Real quick. Real quick, back to the second board. Where's this offensive lineman's back right now? <laughs> yeah, no, but being serious, where, where's is, his back? He is actually turned toward the, the other end, end of the field, not the end zone. Correct. Like the back is toward the end zone. Correct. That's reason number one. Where's this offensive line's back right now? That's Andrew Norwell, and he is back toward the end zone. Exactly. Which means he's getting spun around. You're or getting spun back. around. If you're two yards or one yard away from the end zone, and you're spinning backwards and you're back to the end zone, you're losing. Not a good sign. You're going to lose that battle 10 times out of 10. All right. Uh, that's going to do it for the wall that says it all here uh, down at CBS 47 and Fox 30. So much more to come on Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Good illustration of the red zone with Austin Lane. One other note, by the way, how many pairs of vans do you have? Those are red on yeah. the wall that says it all. I got, got about a Baker's dozen, right Brent. I got about yeah. a Baker's dozen. They show them. Yeah, there yeah. you go. Yeah, there we right. go. These things uh, are pretty dirty, though. Join right. us on ESPN 690, the radio side, in just a bit. I think more than anything is like handling the job, everything that comes with it, when to get in and watch your film, how to progress it through the week, how to manage, you know, dealing with y'all. and it, like Seriously, about everything you could think of, stuff, even stuff that, you know, you don't think of first off as, you know, a quarterback, but everything else you got to handle. So he gave me a, a lot of good insight. I think the biggest thing he taught me is to be yourself. You know, I think, you know, I think that's one of the things he does so well is, you know, he's so genuine. I think guys see that, and if you're not like that, then people see through it, and you can't lead anybody. Well, there you go. I mean, we were talking about that, right? Genuine nature of Nick Foles. And I think there's a genuine nature of uh, young Gardner Minshew, you know, and I think he just showed it there. That's a punch in the gut, man. You're a competitor. You played well. You played better than anybody thought you'd play. And I, I think of it like this. Gardner Minshew, uh, I guess, I'm, I mean, I guess I'm old enough. Like, how old is Gardner Minshew? 24. So, John, we'd actually be old enough. Like that, he could be like our son. Oh gosh, <laughs> yes, it's frighteningly easily, yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. that would have been a scary period of time. Like yeah. if that did happen around that right. time. Mm-hmm. But uh, at the same time, I think of it from that point of view, and I think part of this is because I made that visit to Mississippi, and so I met so many of those cool people, nice people in Mississippi, his hometown, his dad included. Yeah, and and you know, there's a bunch of pride there, man, for Gardner Minshew. And so I kind of I was put a big piece together. And by the way, you can see that on YouTube, Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690. Did this long story about our trip there and how it, you know, the, all the the trials that he's had, you know, coming through. That this one won't really knock him down is is the main uh, point of the story, but. All those folks are beaming with pride of of this guy, but they're also probably right now saying, "I like Nick Foles, good guy. He's told he's a great guy, but he should be playing. Gardner should be playing. Gardner should be playing because of this, this, this. Look what he did. He can do this. He he's he should still. You're stunting his growth. He might be the offensive rookie of the year. Uh, you know, some things that people are saying around here in Jacksonville, and people, some people want Minshew to keep playing. Yeah. 
but they're really doing that back home in Brandon, Mississippi. And so I think of it like that. You know, I'm trying to think like, man, they've got some good points, right? And I think the best point on Gardner Minshew playing still is how do you remove the offensive rookie of the year in the NFL from your lineup? It's the nature of football with the position that he plays, but it's a very hard thing to do right now. Mm-hmm. Now, listen, you can vouch for Josh Jacobs or Kyler Murray, and I don't think you can for Kyler Murray, but Josh Jacobs, you can. But I would say, imagine removing him from some other player. That's a tough thing to grasp, and I, I even have a hard time grasping that, even though I think this is the right move to go to Foles. Well, and then the biggest story going forward now is, like we talked about, Brent, it's the development of Gardner Minshew because the development on the field now playing in NFL games is gone. So he can't get better that way. And if, you, if you're Gardner Minshew right now, and let's be honest, let's just call a spade a spade. They basically said, you know what? You did good for us. You're a rookie quarterback. You know, you could be a, uh, the rookie of the year or whatever, but you didn't do good enough to keep that job. So in a way, you kind of failed a little bit. So you have to sit now. And if you're Gardner Minshew, and I don't know exactly his personality, if he's a super emotional guy or if he's more of just kind of the even keel guy, I want to say more even keel, but whatever it is. But talking to his dad and, you know, Flint and everybody and the people that have been around him, I'm curious to see how he responds to this. Because I don't call it a setback, Brent, because the writing was kind of on the wall, but how, how he responds to getting benched and having to sit on the bench and watch Foles now. And does he use that to his advantage? I look at it entirely differently. This might be the first time Austin and I disagree on something. But here's what I would say. Time. You've been it's afraid been of him a, for a long time. I know, Just you're right. I'm, 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 I'm actually... He's got I'm, all these tattoos. I'm, 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 I'm scooting over. I'm scooting over. I'm scooting over here. It's all good. No, here's the deal. Here's the way I look at it. And... and, and it's, it's, it's simple to me. It's not that he failed and didn't win the job. It's that this... Person, it's who you're comparing him to, and yeah. you're and you're saying, yeah, he might be the rookie of the year, but he's a rookie quarterback. You have a veteran who's proven and has uh, won the Super Bowl for heaven's sakes, who's coming back to take his position that you paid him twenty five million dollars a year to to play. That's not a failure. That's just where he is right now. That's not a failure at all. I think he's yeah. been a huge success. And I'll I'll say one other thing. And that I that I that tells me this kid's gonna be just fine. And that is what he said when asked about have you ever been through something like this before where you <laughs> had it and now it's gone? And he said something to the effect of, Oh yeah, I've learned how to be a real leader. Not to just lead when it's easy, but to lead when it's hard. That is yeah. leadership. That is exactly why this kid's gonna be fantastic, whether it's next year or next game, because Foles gets hurt again. He's going to be fantastic, and he hasn't failed at all, in my opinion. He's done wonderfully, and I guess the question I would have is, you, you know, you say that he by not playing, you're stunting his growth. Is that true? Do you? Th- I mean, again, I've I've never played quarterback in the NFL. I've never been in the NFL, but you see these guys who have come and watched professional quarterbacks work and then when it's their turn come in there and they're professional quarterbacks without really any experience so how can you say i mean he's had the experience now he gets to sit back and watch a pro work and go oh yeah when i tried that this is what happened and this this worked and this Mm -hmm. did to me it seems like he could still grow now if it was this way for two seasons that might be a different story but for However many games are left, six games that are left, seven games, yeah. seven games that are left. Yeah. It, it doesn't necessarily have to be a stunting, but maybe it does. I don't know. Well, and that's the thing, John. Like we haven't seen a lot of scenarios play out like this because usually when the rookie comes in and performs very well, like he's, well, he may be the rookie of the year. 
they keep him. They, yeah. they keep him, in, you know, the whole season. So when we say stunt your growth, yeah, it's not like a situation like Aaron Rodgers was or Patrick Mahomes was where they sat a couple years. Well, Patrick Mahomes sat a year, but where they sit behind somebody, they learn from him, and then they go in. Well, with Gardner Minshew, it was different where he couldn't really learn. He had to go in right away. He flashed, he performed pretty well, and then all of a sudden they had to cap him off and say, you know what, you did good, but now you got to sit again. So when we say stunt your growth, it's like, well, the growth was there already, but now you're capping it off and saying, we're going to go in a different direction, and you just got to ask yourself, will that maybe hurt his confidence, hurt his mentality, and is the guy that you're capping off now, is that guy going to be gone? Yeah. It's, it's, it's all I'm getting I, to. I think, listen, you can... And it's hard to say. Yeah, it is hard to say, and therefore you can kind of, you can create some evidence and talk yourself into and spin it kind of whatever way you want to lean. Could it stun his growth? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Could it really help him? Absolutely. You know, I, I think the way Sunshine and Rainbows Club will look at it is that... <laughs> I'm a member. I think... I, well, because here's the deal, and and this is through experience now in Jacksonville. Yeah. This is Blaine Gabbert who got shell shocked and couldn't recover. Mm-hmm. This is Blaine, uh, Blake Bortles who kind of got shell shocked at times that rookie year, but actually wasn't scarred from it. You know, he bounced back, and and I never felt like there was this hangover from being sacked a million times his his rookie year and throwing picks and all that kind of stuff and this in, in uh, introduction to the NFL by fire. That, that stuck with him and, and stunted anything that Blake did. Mm-hmm. So he handled it well. Blaine Gabbard, I thought, was shell-shocked by it, and mm-hmm. I'm not sure has ever recovered. Mm-hmm. I, I just think he didn't recover. He was not put in a position to be successful. So I could spin it as like, you know what? This guy had some really good moments. He had a really bad moment late, mm-hmm. and he had some just okay moments. So he had kind of the gamut of what you would expect a rookie quarterback to do because I continue to say, as much as he in exceeded expectation. There's a difference between exceeding expectation and playing great football. Gardner Minshew did not play great football the last two months. That would be an overstatement. He played great football at times, played very good football at times, good football at times, and probably not so good football at times. But overall, he far exceeded expectation and did an admirable job and should be applauded for it. But now I do wonder if you take that sample of a little bit of everything, where some confidence like, I can do this, man. I can play in this game. And confidence from his teammates. And now you do sit that on the bench. And you say, okay, go learn because you know what? The ideal situation, every coach, every GM would say, I don't care if you had Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Brett Favre, Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson. If I could do what Kansas City did and sit behind Alex Smith for a year, even with that supreme talent of Patrick Mahomes, I would do it that way. So now he gets a little bit of the best of both worlds. He got a little taste of it. And now he gets to sit down and learn a little bit and see what he could do better and how he could grow. Again, a little sunshine and rainbows to it, but why can't that also be beneficial? And we will have no idea because we'll only know next year or whenever we get to see him next. And and we might not see him again this year, so we have no idea what would be better or not. But I think we we can always spin it, and I think they will spin it, and I think Gardner Minshew will think positively and spin it that way for the remainder of this season and going forward in his career. Here, listen, I'll, I'll, I'll put it in a personal experience. When I was in Atlanta, I was relatively new to Atlanta. I was the, I was hired to be the weekend anchor. Okay. So I did that. Well, I also, because of who else was there or who wasn't there, got to your circumstances. I got to fill in for the main anchor, legendary John Pruitt for on a fairly regular basis, which when things are going smoothly is not that big a deal. But when, you know, breaking news happens and, you know, the proverbial poop hits the fan, you that's when you need your quarterback with experience yeah. and i didn't have it let's be i mean i was uh I, I didn't have much anchoring experience and 
I felt it when the proverbial poop hits the fan. <laughs> so they, they, in their wisdom, brought in, when it was time for John Pruitt to retire, the, the wheels were already in place. It wasn't that I failed, mm-hmm. but they were bringing in somebody with more experience in the anchor chair yeah, yeah. to replace him. Mm-hmm. Now, was I mad when I didn't get that job? Absolutely, I was mad because yeah. I wanted it. That's what I was working towards. Yep. But I wasn't really ready. Now, I'm not comparing myself to Minshew by any means, but I needed more time. Mm-hmm. And so then the next thing happened and I get, you know, a different job, you know, that's and then and now here I am, you know, the yeah, yeah. the main anchor if you want to starting quarterback if you want to compare the two. Yes, sir. Yeah. So my point is is that if if given, you know, this opportunity and he 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 takes it like you said with the right attitude and and learns from what he can improve upon, he could easily be the next starting quarterback for the Jaguars when that time comes for a long time. And I love what he's made of. It seemingly he's saying everything the right way. I don't don't know. There's a maturity about him for a 24 year old guy going through some of this stuff. It's not easy to go through it. You know, I mean, you can convince yourself. One last thing on that thought, and then we got to get to John, let him go. But, uh, I do think there's a little bit of Minshew, and if you see it, hear it in his voice, and if you really see the video of it, that is still kicking himself to a degree. Mm-hmm. Because we talked about this a little bit last night after the show. We're talking in the newsroom about all the storylines the Jags have had, yet it feels like the balloon has been popped on the storylines. I mean, we've had storylines galore. Uh, great for ESPN 690 in our first year. But from Ramsey to Minshew to Foles to Yannick Ngakwe to Telvin Smith, all of a sudden the last two weeks it's been like, What's going on with the Jags? Yeah. Like, why'd you do that, Doug Marone? You didn't even make this kind of controversial or leave us hanging. <laughs> he didn't drag it out for a Tuesday. week so that you could talk yeah. about it on the you bye know? week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I mean. That's why he did so, it. Yeah, so yeah, that was exactly. a little bit why he did it. But there, he, why I say he's kicking himself is because if he had that moment in against Houston and London, mm-hmm. he won, at least in his own mind, and because we don't know the answer to this, and we might not ever know unless Doug writes it in a book someday, mm-hmm. if he had played well. Mm-hmm. If they had won that game, mm-hmm. what's this look like here on this Wednesday going in Indianapolis? What's the what's the decision look like? What would it have been? And even if it is still the same decision, which I don't know if it would have been or not. I, I kind of feel like if he had won that game, they would have kept him for another week mm-hmm. leading this football team. But even though we don't look, there would have been a lot of controversy about it. See, that's why the balloon popped on the discussion because Doug said he played bad. Doug announced Foles and I was like, well, I can't really argue it. He just threw like. Three inter- two interceptions and fumbled twice in the fourth quarter of a game they really needed to win. Yeah, that's probably right. Let's go to Foles. But otherwise, if he had played great, Marone still makes that decision. They go to Foles. We would have controversy daily. We would have the debate daily. Is Doug doing the right thing? Is this mm-hmm. the right decision? You think you should stay with Foles. Uh, Minshew, I say, let's go to Foles. We don't have that here. And so I think he's kind of kicking himself right now. He's still almost in a little bit of that hangover. I made it too easy saying, on coach. Yeah. You yeah, know, I had yeah. made it so hard on him up until this point, but mm-hmm. when it was decision time, damn it, I didn't get it done in that one spot. But yeah. that's that comes with seasoning, right? I mean, in my opinion, that that's exactly why maybe he 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 will benefit from from you know watching and learning a little bit. Uh, I'll say this real quick too. What I'm excited for a training camp now is we're gonna have a quarterback battle, and that's not something yeah. you can say for the Jacksonville <laughs> Jaguars going into a training camp in a long time here, bro. Well, and we can do ifs and buts just like the college football playoff rankings too, and have mm-hmm. fun with this. The only way I don't know if we have a quarterback battle is if for some if if Foles goes six and one down the stretch here and gets him into the playoffs. Yeah. 
you yep. know, and says, hey, yeah. I told you all along this was my team. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, right. sorry, young fella, and, but and, you might have to sit a little bit longer. That's right. Fair enough. But you know what? Again, and, and, and you know, I don't know what the Jags are planning, but I wouldn't be, as a Jags fan, I wouldn't be upset with that if, if he had to sit one more year after all this. I don't think Jags fans should be upset with anything. I feel like yeah. they have two well, but I mean, as, as a, as a, yeah, no, I agree. I just mean as opposed to saying, well, we could we could trade him and see what yeah, we get. Oh, yeah, yeah. I would not want to see that because I think long term he could be the answer. I but. still sit here right now and say 2020 training camp, we do have that kind of battle of some sort. Because I think yeah. both guys are on the roster, and I'm not sure everybody agrees with that. But I think every I think both guys are on this roster in 2020 going into the season. I, I think really the only do. reason they wouldn't be is if Foles has trouble. All right, you've been hanging out with yeah. us a long time. I know, thanks for having coming me. up. CBS 47, Fox 30 tonight. What's the latest on the Taylor Williams well, situation? Well, we've got actually, I mean, you know, yesterday was huge, and there, you'd think, well, okay, we've we've got it all. Well, the uh, arrest warrant, is we've got access to that now, which details some more more parts of this investigation which you know of of course they're going to be troubling you know so uh but there's there is some some information in there that is is worth looking at and and we had this discussion in our meeting today uh i'll try to keep this more positive and that is um you know after after hearing the details we're going to outline for you coming up at five o'clock on cbs 47 and fox 30 action news checks um I hope people who see it will start asking questions like, what are we doing as a community? Like the systems were in place. The Navy has a play, has, has a, um, a formula for if you are a single parent and, you know, if you have to be deployed, the Navy makes sure you have either family or a plan in place, right? Mm-hmm. They have a plan for you and they have resources for you to take advantage of if you have childcare issues, right? And then there's the state has, resources for you and 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 there are there are resources available right um so the the question becomes how can a how can a child this warrant will outline there there was basically a month where nobody we we didn't know where this child was how is a society is that possible and yet and yet it is scary as you when you really look at it how easy that is Especially for a transient society that we have and people are coming and going out of apartments and you don't really know your neighbors like you used to. You're not sitting on the front porch going, hey, Bob, hey, Jim. It's just not that way anymore. And it is, in my opinion, scary to think just how really easy something like this is to go unnoticed. Well, you know the other thing, John, too, I think it's, it's it listen to you talk about it, and it'll be interesting to see the details tonight on CBS 47 and Fox 30 as you learn more and more about the situation. But as scary of a world this is, as at times, as negative as it is, I still get the sense, at least in my bubble that I live in, it feels like a very still trustworthy, assume the right thing, the good things yeah. are happening and not try to look at it that way all the time with other people's lives in your neighborhoods and things like yeah. that, you know? And while you want to be on alert and all those things, you don't sit there and be – you never draw this situation – like something right. could be terribly wrong. Right. You know what I mean? Well, I so, think it takes so, you a while to get so there unless there's hard evidence. In yeah. this warrant, it outlines – I got. I know you don't want to spend your whole day talking about this, but in this warrant, it outlines basically that a neighbor at this apartment complex stated that they saw – her multiple times unattended and wandering, you know, whatever, yeah, yeah. And, and, and stated that they even walked her back to her place and made sure she was okay and everything else, which is great and, and probably what most of us would do. But then it begs the question, is there another step that needed to be taken? And I'm, again, I'm not pointing – there's only, there's only, you know, 
Looks like one finger. To be looks like one finger that can be yeah. pointed at one place. So I, by no means am blaming anyone here at all. But I guess as a society, it makes you kind of say, step back and go, okay, are we really doing all we should be to look out for our neighbors and more importantly, our neighbors' children and yeah. the children that we are coming in contact. And so what we're trying to do, and I think what I hope we're going to accomplish tonight, later, maybe not at 5 and 6, but certainly at 10 and 11, is to examine the resources and to maybe even get some warning signs out there to so so people like you and me who are coming in contact with kids and we may not even realize the kids that are in bad situations. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What is it about that that we might be able to spot? And then who do we call? What do we do? That's the kind of stuff that I hope we'll get across at uh, 10 and 11 tonight beyond when we get through some of the stuff at five and six. Yeah, and as isolated as this seems, it's still an important discussion, you know, because Absolutely. you don't want, one's too many. One is too mm-hmm. many. You know, that's right. That's an uh, unbelievable case. Yeah. Uh, more on CBS 47 and Fox 30. John Bachman, Tanika Hughes, Mike Borish uh, do a great job, and we'll have uh, you on the TV side as well tonight, CBS 47 and Fox 30 on sports. Um, we'll have action sports. Jax, thanks for joining us, man. Bartram Creekside Soccer tonight, too, by the way. Oh, okay. At Creekside. At Creekside, it's a. I mean, start the season with uh, that, that's like your the rival match. game, huh? John's daughter, by the way, plays uh, the varsity team at Bartram. I know, yeah, uh, freshman I, too. I, I'm aware. Uh, so I was there when he announced it. Yeah, yeah. Did he I didn't did actually he announce that? that? Yeah, he, oh, come he, on, yeah, no. But he said that. Like, hey, you you had a phone way. call. You told Brent that your, your daughter <laughs> yeah, yeah. made Stop the varsity the team. This is no criticism. If Ty and Kaylee are on the varsity softball and baseball team, uh, yeah. I will have a damn press conference. No, that's, that's fine. All right. Uh, so, oh That's gosh, fine. my my daughter's gonna kill me now. Just so you guys I know, it's my fault. <laughs> yeah, uh, but, but no. But anyway, I, I, I do recall you being proud of her. And I, I, I that am she, very she proud of her. I am very proud of her. In fact, I was a little pissed off at you that you didn't tell me last Thursday night how they did against Stanton. They won. There you go. But Thank it was you. a preseason game. It doesn't count. So this is the actual. Today opener. is the day that the season starts, and they're starting it against rival Creekside. So <sighs> I mean, and where did you say that was at Creekside? At Creekside. Seven o'clock. 7.20, I think, is actual. Might have to get over that. Check time. your local listings. I like it. <laughs> yeah. Hey, we waved the Knights flag in my house. That's right. <laughs> right. That's right. That's Go right. Creekside. That's right. right. Fair enough. Hey, and I, <laughs> if you're waving the flag, I'm waving the flag too, man. I'm on board. I'm on board. Let's go. <laughs> All right, man. Have a good one. We'll All right, see guys. You. Thanks so much. Man, we'll be back. Uh, we got Ball on the phone. We have uh, Rhino Howard around the NFL. Colin Kaepernick situation. More on the college football playoffs. We got a lot to get to. Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690. Disappointed a little bit, obviously, um, you know, because everybody wants to be that guy in the huddle. Um, but you know what? If you'd have told me in the beginning of the year that I'd get to play half a season and then be able to learn, I would have said I'll take that deal 100%. You know what I'm saying? So I got a lot of good experience, and I'm also going to be able to learn from one of the best dudes in the business. Ah, great, great, great outlook from Gardner Minshew. I mean, saying all the right things, uh, I think it's. Uh, but I think yeah, that that's a genuine reaction. I think that's a good way to look back after he's had the week off. And in that sense, it was a really good idea by Doug Marone to get this out of the way, give him time to stew over it a little bit, and um, reflect on what has been a, a pretty good two months. By the way, I do think Gardner Minshew was beat up a little bit. You know, I mean, yeah. I, 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 everybody is, right, two months in the year. But, I mean, he he had some things. He had shoulder. He had the groin. He had, uh, what do you have, a hip or something like that, I think it was, at some hip point. Hip or hamstring? One maybe of it was yeah. a hammy. Yeah. But, so, I mean, he's got a chance now to, it's been a long, I always say this about these guys, it's become cliche for me to say, but it's a long year for the rookies. You know, we yes. started with Gardner Minshew back at the Senior Bowl. Yeah. And then he has the combine, and then the stress of all that, and never really getting a break coming out of your college season. He gets a little bit of a, he doesn't I mean, necessarily get a break. Yeah. But in, in 
in theory, he will now get a little bit of a rest from at least getting his his body hit, you know, yeah. week in and week out. I mean, you say this, but guess what? Every rookie in that locker room right now, if you go ask him, how you feeling? You kind of sore a little bit? How you feeling from the combine workouts and everything? They're all telling you the same thing, that they're exhausted, they're tired, and thank God for that bye week, but they're not 100%. Yeah. And if any rookie in that locker room tells you that, either number one, A, they're a kicker, or B, they're lying to you. Simple <laughs> as that. So, Long stepper. Or uh, no, because long snappers. Hey, that's a physical. Hey, no, no. Hey, I'm not trying to hate Sorry, on the kickers. Not trying to hate on the kickers. Now, Scobie, I got much love for you, man. You know that. But I'm just saying, your first year in the NFL, it's probably a little more easier, probably a little more cruise controlish than it is being a defensive lineman or some other position like that. Yeah, you know, the only thing I believe, and and some guys, it'd be a great study to see where the rookie wall does hit from a number standpoint overall. But then I think you get guys that are just oblivious to it. It mm-hmm. just doesn't matter. And Josh Allen might be one of those guys. Mm-hmm. Josh Allen might be such a freaky athlete that he could just go for days and days and hours and, and months. And Now, again, yeah. would he be better with a little? But keep in mind now, they did a nice job with Josh Allen. Give him a lot of credit. Josh Allen, what they did with his him in terms of the spring when he was a little banged up, uh, early part of August, they kind of let him just get into the flow of things. Mm-hmm. And I think that was a nice move on their part. It might pay dividends late in the season, even though I think it doesn't matter. I think he's such a freaky athlete that he can probably just go at his age. And yeah. and if he has to play until March, it doesn't matter. Well, and then let's, let's be honest, Brent, it also begs the question with Doug Marone's philosophy this year of, you know, kind of taking it easy, kind of easing up on those reins a little bit in training camp. I mean, does that have a direct correlation to where the Jaguars are at right now? Because if we look at after that bye week, there is not one guy. Well, and I guess they've had injuries Marquise Lee's out for the season. We kind of went over the list uh, to start out the week. But overall, right now, no one's on that injury report. Everybody is practicing. Now, Jake Ryan's, you know, he's coming mm-hmm. back himself. But overall, you would absolutely take right now where the Jacksonville Jaguars are uh, as far as injuries are concerned. And you have to ask the question. And I think Doug Marone got a lot of flack for this, a lot of heat of it during training camp. But maybe does Doug Marone have a point where he's in the reins off in training camp? It has benefits towards, you know, the middle of the season, towards the back nine of the season when it's so important to win those ball games. Here, here's the thing. I'm glad you brought that up because that's where I was going next for the next couple of minutes. We're going to have Ryan O'Halloran join us. We'll talk Kaepernick, talk about the rest of the NFL, all those things coming up, and, and still a lot more to get into before the end of the show. But I, I'm glad you went there because I, I we touched on this yesterday, and the more and more I thought about it, the more and more relevant that becomes. I think you have to go back. if Follow along here and go back to last year. And think about the injuries. Mm. Holy cow, man. And, and this is an excuse. I mean, you can tell me Blake Bortles. Uh, I probably tried to use that excuse for Blake Bortles at times. Like, what? who could run this offense right now? And I believe that. Mm-hmm. But Like, Cody Kessler, when he got in there, guy had no chance. Who was playing football with them on the offensive side of the ball? I, I did say this last year. Go back and look in December, say, late November, December. Who was playing football for the Jaguars on offense? And I'm not sure Joe Montana. Could have got him to 20 points. I'm telling you, it it, it was dire straits. Mm-hmm. Now, had Blake already faltered by then? Had, had the train left the station, all that kind of? Sure. Yeah, I'm not saying the whole season was injuries, but it was a lot of it, man. When you play 16 offensive linemen, people hate to use injuries. 16 mm-hmm. offensive linemen. Think about that. You're supposed to play five. <laughs> and now you, you, you juxtapose that with what? is happening here, and you've lost, we said it yesterday, Marcel Darius, mm-hmm. you've lost Marquise Lee, mm-hmm. 
and you've lost uh, James O'Shaughnessy. Yeah. And guess what? Th- those are going to happen. This is football at the end of the day. It doesn't matter how much you ease up off the reins. Those things happen, man. It's, it's, that's just the game. That's the way it works sometimes. And so you give Doug Marone credit, and I do too. Because mm-hmm. here's where I give Doug Marone credit, and, and this was really my question. It's like, should the Jags get some credit? Because a lot of times people will say, like last year when they get hurt a lot, or guys go out in August, right? And remember, everybody was hurt for the first they two and a half They weren't training hard enough. That's what I heard. Or criticism for the medical staff, yeah. criticism for the training staff, yeah. criticism for the grass or the turf. Or, it's got to be somebody's fault, mm-hmm. right? Well, so now does somebody get credit? Does the medical staff, the training staff, Doug Marone, how they handled this, like you said, do they get credit? And I think they should. If we're going to at least say, okay, there's going to be a factor there, they should get some credit for this as well. I think Doug Marone deserves some credit for two reasons. One, he listened to the players. Mm-hmm. He listened to the players coming out of last year with all those injuries. And I think they they said their part and said, I don't know if we can do this and be healthy in November and December. And I'm, I'm, par- I'm not sure exactly. that's exactly how the conversation no, went, but, but I think that's how it went. And then he did another thing. I still don't believe Tom Coughlin would have run it this way. No, without a doubt. And, and so he said, I'm doing it my way. And you have to ask yourself the question. If you go back to training camp and you say right now the Jaguars are four and five, nine games in, and your starting quarterback goes out the second drive of the, of the series, you'd probably take that with everybody being healthy as well. And, and healthy. that's where they're at right now. That's the most important part. Bottom line, does it translate to winning games? We'll now they got to pay Doug back, mm-hmm. and they got to go win some football games. When we come back, Ryan O'Halloran, Colin Kaepernick, the rest of the NFL, all on the way. Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. For a team, it'll be a fair question to ask. The first day you stand up in front of that media, what are you going to say? That's going to be the biggest thing, right? When you sign Colin Kaepernick, is that quote-unquote distraction that they have to do their due diligence and understand that and say, okay, where are we now? They wouldn't sign him before when it was, you know, like touching a hot stove as far as what what, what he was. Reactor. Exactly. So it's they're going to be fair to touch it again and say, okay, where are we now? Well, that's Mike Golick. Golick and Wingo every morning here on Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Really, just on ESPN 690. Our show's Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Go look and wiggle every morning, though, 6 a.m. till 10 a.m. And uh, Mike Golick's comments on the Colin Kaepernick situation. Let's talk more about it. We briefly talked about it yesterday at the end of the show yeah. when this came down. But there's been a lot of different twists and turns to the stories right now. And uh, we bring in Ryan O'Halloran from the Denver Post. We'll talk all about the NFL. Of course, covers the Denver Broncos coming off a, a bye week as well. But first, let's begin with Kaepernick. What's up, Rhino? Hey, fellas. How are we doing today? Doing fantastic. All right, man. What's your take on this? This is somewhat fresh, about 24 hours old. What's your take on the Colin Kaepernick workout this weekend? Well, my thing is, if you're if you're from Kaepernick's camp, what took so long? Uh, you know, he's been out of the league now going three years. Was there any movement on their part or the league's part to have some kind of showcase like this a year ago, two years ago? That said, okay, now they're having it. It feels like a rush job. All these workouts are usually on Tuesdays. A lot of people would have been able to get to Atlanta for them. Now I know at least one team here, you know, and that's the Broncos, is, hey, okay, they're supposed to scout all these college games on Saturday. They're trying to rearrange one of their guys to get there. Every team's going to be there because I think Roger Goodell's going to make sure that every team is there. Yeah, because absolutely. you don't want to be the one team in the headline that says, Team A boycotts the workout. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a good point, though. I mean, this is a – this is for 
lack of anything else. Maybe it's an opportunity for Kaepernick, and it sure looks that way it could be. But it definitely yeah. is a a public perception play, both on part of the NFL and on the 32 teams, if they do show, don't show, how they react, all these kind of things. So there's a lot going on here. This isn't just about football. This isn't just about giving Kaepernick an opportunity. There's a lot of the underbelly going on in this whole situation, and I think everybody's got to look at this, not only how they approach it and go to it on Saturday, but how they come out of it with the headlines all across the country on Sunday and Monday. Well, and you know, Chancellor is not going to be signed. You know, if I'm a team and I'm interested in him as a backup, he is not going to be a starter because he hasn't played in forever. And last time he did start, he went one and ten. Is hey, liked your workout. Once the season's over, you want to bring in for a visit. If that goes well, sign you. There's no way he can help a team this year. The goal for him should be plant a seed with a couple of teams. To say, hey, after the holidays, once the regular season's over, when rosters can expand to get the 90 players, pick out a situation that feels like he can succeed. You know, he can't be picky. You know, I, I, I've, I've contended. I don't know how much really he wants to play, or else he would have taken one of these backup jobs to re-kick, re-kickstart his career. You know, in three years ago, he was here in Denver. The Broncos and Fort Niners were talking about a trade for Kaepernick. Broncos had cap problems. They wanted to say, hey, we cut your salary in half. You know, Kaepernick uh, declined from like 14 to 7. Uh, so that trade didn't happen. You know, a lot of the liberal pandering media in this country, most of them cover the NFL on a daily basis, uh, thought, well, they're just being unfair to the player. The player in this, this, in this instant can't be choosy. He's got, he's got to be able to find a situation and see if he can, you know, still play. Ryan, from my perspective, and this, see, to me, this isn't like, a tryout for an NFL team, right? Because this is more of like the combine workout. He's going to work out in front of 32 teams, you know, and we see this all the time with college quarterbacks. The difference, though, from the college quarterbacks to the Kaepernick situation is a big one in the fact that no media is going to be in attendance for this. That's obviously by design, right? Because they don't want the media to say, well, he looked pretty good out there, and now a team doesn't sign him. So, do well, think, they also don't want the circus. I think there's well, two parts of that. Okay, okay. Uh, I'll give well, that to you. But my second, I mean, okay, I, I okay. get it. I think okay. you're right, but I also think, but you know what? You want him to work out. You know, if you got a hundred, hey, if we could go, everybody would go. Not, not. I'm not saying we, but national media, everybody would be there. Sure. And so then it becomes a circus more than a workout. But d- define circus. Like he, he doesn't have to answer the questions. But there's just gonna be a lot of people there watching him. There's a lot of people at Alabama Pro Day. Well, if you invite the media, I'm, I'm, I mean, you probably have to make them available to answer questions. Is my point too? Maybe, but I feel like he can. Well, if can I kind of, him, I would, if I was him, Austin, I would embrace that. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I would, I, but is it is that his doing or is that the NFL's doing? Is my point here? And then my second follow-up question is, how? I mean, truthfully. Does the NFL want Kaepernick to come out here and fail because then he can kind of just go away because they're not going to sign him? They can be like, well, you know, he had his shot. He didn't do well at his workout, so let's just wash our hands now of Colin Kaepernick. Well, I think maybe there's some of that from the NFL. I mean, they've already admitted guilt with settling the collusion case. Mm -hmm. So I think if you're the league, you're saying, okay, people are still accusing us of colluding even though the case is not even active. Well, let's just set something up. And in terms of opening it up to whatever, I would like for them to be something afterwards, even if you're not going to have the workout open, where there you know can be some you know video of the you know the workout and 
But if I'm Kaepernick, I want as many people as humanly possible at that facility so I can reset my narrative. Mm-hmm. Because what's going to happen after this workout is when you have 32 teams there, you got loose lips. Somebody's going to be saying either one or two things, hey, he looked like he's ready to go, or B, he's probably just a backup at this point. So he has not really – maybe I'm in the minority here. He has not really handled any of this well. It's time to sort of take the narrative over and see if he really wants to play. And if I'm a team and I want to talk to him, that's the first question I ask. Are you willing to come in and compete? Are you willing to come in and compete for a second team job? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's, you know, I saw some of the numbers. I think ESPN had them last night. 110 quarterbacks have played in the NFL since Kaepernick last took a snap. I mean, there's a chance Brian Hoyer plays for the Indianapolis Colts as a third-string guy. And, uh, you know, no disrespect to Hoyer, but if I'm a fan, if I'm a teammate, I'd probably rather see what a guy like Kaepernick has than Hoyer. I kind of know what he's got. So, uh, you know, is all those narratives and, and things and that take place. I've got two questions for you guys. I want to paint it two different ways. And... Be interesting to see where you come down on it. Uh, by the way, Rhino Halloran from the Denver Post with us here on Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690. And we're talking about the Colin Kaepernick situation, a workout this Saturday where all teams are invited. Video will be made available. Teams don't show up. Set up by the NFL. Uh, certainly much debate on how this was set up, the short order, usually on Tuesdays rather than on this Saturday. All fair arguments, too. Do you want to, do you want to see Kaepernick on a roster? Got the question for both of you. Uh, sure, um, because there's no question that he had, he was on his way to a great career. He was a victim of circumstance in San Francisco. Jim Harbaugh left. Jim Tomsula came in, it was a disaster. Chip Kelly came in, it was a disaster. All of a sudden, you find Kaepernick cut. You know, so, you know, a team has to have a strong locker room and, and a fearless ownership. They're going to be able to take the criticism that's going to come their way. But, uh, you know, I have no rooting interest in him. I would like to see him on a roster just to see if he can play. Yeah, I mean, uh, yes, I would. You know, and I mean, it's it's pretty it's pretty cut and dry for me. Um, I think that a lot of NFL players who do things wrong, and you know how I stand on a lot of those issues, Brent, and we don't have to get into them right now, but there's a lot of NFL players there that have been convicted guilty of a lot of things, and they don't really miss a beat. You know, they set out four games, another team picks him up and says, you know what, this guy's still a good player, so I want to have him on our team to win games. I think Colin Kaepernick, if he comes out here, performs well, he gives you an opportunity to win games. And I think with his past and everything that he's done, while it may be misguided and may be misinterpreted, I would put that far uh, above what some other NFL players have done that have still got second chances. So, yes, I want to see Colin Kaepernick play again. Okay, here's the second. Hey, Austin, oh, okay. And one more thing, Brent, uh, real quick. Austin hit the key word there, misguided. I don't know what kind of advice he's been getting over the last couple of years, but I think it's been the wrong advice. Um, you know, he should have treated this like he was being you know, – he, he never went public to say, hey, here's my side. He never – by all accounts, he never went to a team owner during one of these interviews or trials and said, hey – I think I've made my point. I'm still going to be a proponent for justice. But if you're not comfortable with me kneeling, that's not going to be a deal breaker. Um, instead, all you had to do is guess what he's thinking. So I think he got bad advice throughout this. Well, I will say, and I've said I've said this uh, on the Kaepernick stuff before, too, and I, I think I kind of agree with you, Ryan, in terms of this. I'm, why hasn't he done an interview? Why hasn't he done anything with Rinaldi or Stephen A. Smith or yeah. name your guy, right? Name your CBS morning show, your Fox show, your 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 whatever NFL Network show, and done anything? Go to said, Landing. Yeah, with and say I want to play. I want to play. Yes, I want to also raise awareness for social injustice. I want to continue to do this work. 
and I believe in it, and I'm passionate about it, but I love football, and I want to play. We And to Ryan's point, I, I, other than ads coming out with Nike and those kind of things, we really haven't seen that. Have we seen but, an illustration? Am I missing that? But what what is that going to do, Brent? Because it's one thing to have an agent or have somebody in your corner call a team and be like, Colin Kaepernick's ready to go right now. He's working out. He looks great. Let's Let's get him on a team. Let's get him for a tryout. Let's do that. Do you think a team just going to go and all of a sudden say, oh, Colin Kaepernick was on ESPN and he's very well spoken. It sounds like he wants to play again. Do you think an NFL team is going to see that and be like, whoa, now we got to sign him because he's, he's out in the public? No, but okay. hundred percent. So, you think so? The majority of people who are owning these NFL teams are old and white, period. And they would see that and say, they would go to their GM, hey, it looks like he's like you know, being you know, more spoke, you know, He's going public with a desire to say, hey, this was my point. This is what I try to prove, but I'm open to playing football again. Don't don't underestimate that perception that uh, that could have planted a seed with an owner. Rhino Allen from the Denver Post with us. You know what? But even if it doesn't, guys, I'm going to pose my second question to you because this is one that I really don't know. And this is why I would like to hear him talk so I could get a better understanding whether I feel it or not because he's been so quiet. My question is, do you really think Colin Kaepernick wants to play in the NFL again? Hold, yeah. hold on for a second. Mm-hmm. The reason why I say that is there's many people believe, and I think I'm probably in this camp, that as history writes itself here on Colin Kaepernick, he is probably better off from a platform standpoint, from a guy that may have helped change things or at least brought things to attention or at least as part of the history book of football not playing again. And I wonder how much he understands that and where does that outweigh his love, passion to want to play football again? That's why I say, why hasn't he talked to him? I don't know that answer. And so I guess I'll ask you guys, do you think he really wants to play football again or is the platform better if he really doesn't play in the NFL again? Austin, real quick for me, I think he does want to play, but, but only on his terms. That's the mistake he's making. And I completely agree. I think he wants to play as well, but he's kind of seen the game where it's like, you know what, they, there was collusion to try to get him out of the NFL for his beliefs and what he tried to stand up for. And I think that kind of left a bad taste in his mouth. So it's, it's like Ryan said. I think he wants to be, he wants to be on his terms. Yeah, and that's a tough spot to be in, right? I mean, if you're it's, trying to get I'll back be honest, on the team. It's, it's not the winning spot to be in because I get it. You want to be on your own terms, and, and that's right for you to think that because I get it, the collusion and everything. But... No NFL player is going to run the show. I hate to tell you. Yeah, well, it's kind of like the Antonio well, Brown case in a way, guys. It's like Antonio Brown can can maybe say, I want to do things on my own terms. But how has that worked out? And that guy is an unbelievable but, football player. Uh, Brent, but to be fair, though, when he said he wants to you know, do things on his own terms, well, he did because Oakland signed him after he said that. Well, he did, but now he's out of the game and might not be coming back in. But he still got $30 million from Oakland. I mean, well, like, as long it, as he was, wins in court. Well, yeah, but it was his <laughs> – okay, I get that. But it was his choice to leave Oakland. Like, he, he could have just kept his mouth. Shut, stayed in Oakland and won and won the day. Yeah. And what he did would have proved to be genius of what, of what he did. Because look, guess what? You got an extra thirty million dollars. He said that he wanted the the team that takes him to play by his rules. And all theoretically, the Oakland Raiders did that. Now it didn't work out in the end, but they still did. Because you know why? Because he has the talent and because of the level of talent. Yes. Yeah. You jumping in on this, Rhino? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he's. I think if you look back. His two big, his, he made three big mistakes. One, he did not take the pay cut with the Broncos 
with understanding if I play well, I will make this money back and more. The second and third mistakes were when he met with the Seahawks and Ravens about a backup job, it just didn't go well to where a contract was offered. He should have bent over backwards to say, hey, if I could get into a camp with Pete Carroll or John Harbaugh and I'm the right teammate on the, and I can lead, they will make a call for me in the offseason to get a starting job. Yeah, it's good. To, I, think, it's a, I think he he underestimated the fact just how important it is in this league to be on a roster. Yeah, yeah, that's a fair point. Uh, well, we'll see how it all shakes out. I, I like, but I like the fact that he's working out. I understand this isn't necessarily on his terms, but there's a part of me that says at least he's getting a chance. At least there's somebody. That, that is going to look at him. And I don't know if that brings closure to this whole story. And I'm not necessarily saying we should have closure to this whole story. It's bigger than that. Mm-hmm. But from a football perspective, I like the fact that NFL eyes are going to see him mm-hmm. one way or another. Again, it might not be ideal for him. It might not. Maybe it is manufactured by the NFL. You know what? At the end of the day, sometimes it doesn't matter how you get a chance. There are guys in this league that sleep outside facilities because people don't believe in them and they get a chance and make teams like the Cleveland Browns guy, right? Correct. You know, so however you can get there, you get there. If you want it bad enough, and at least they're giving them that. Hey, we've got a lot more football to get to, just but I'll keep you a couple minutes, so we'll go rapid fire. Russell Wilson, Lamar Jackson, who's the MVP, man? Um, Russell Wilson, uh, I think winning, that, winning a game like that in San Francisco. Uh, Lamar Jackson has a couple statement games left. So I, I would put Wilson just ahead of him right now. How would you predict the Jaguars' schedule? You know what it looks like. They've got seven left. What do you think Nick Foles and the Jags do down the stretch? Give me a record. Um, they're four and five right now. I think they can. Um, I say they get to nine wins, which probably won't be enough. You know, they got with the Bucks, the Falcons, the Colts one more time, or excuse me, twice. So. Yeah. You know, I think the next two weeks is going to tell the tale. Uh, they got to go up to Indianapolis, a Colts team that I saw two weeks ago that should have been beaten by the Broncos. Then they lose the Steelers and Dolphins. And, uh, and then you go to Tennessee, which has always been a pain in the butt for this team. Absolutely. Yeah, you got the Chargers in there as well, the Raiders. Hey, who? speaking of the Raiders, Chargers are, well, you know, I was a little surprised at that outcome, but the Raiders won that game. Chiefs fall again. Who wins the AFC West? Um, I still think the Chiefs, uh, because the Raiders, they should have won that game going away last week, but they just couldn't get out of their own way in terms of penalties. Ultimately, yeah, that's going to cost them a game against a better team. Then they should win this week at Cincinnati. Chiefs have a huge one in Mexico City on Monday. I just feel like if you line these two teams up, the Chiefs with Mahomes have the best player. So he should come out on top. Yeah, that's fair enough, especially if he gets healthier and, and, and continues to get back in a groove, even though he looked really good the other day. It wasn't his fault. They lost the football game. Uh, one last one uh, for you. And, uh, well, I've just lost my train of thought. Uh, Rams. Oh, Rams. Are, that's right. We're yeah. going to talk about Rams. Are, if, if, uh, if Austin figures people have figured out McVay. Is that just fact now or is it golf? Well, I, I, I'll, I'll, meet, I'll meet Austin halfway. I think they figured out Jared Goff. Okay. Okay. Um, he, he does not. I mean, in the Super Bowl last year, he looked clunky. All I got to say about the Rams is, put in Bortles. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I'd like to see it happen. But hey, one other thing about the Rams in Jacksonville West, Dante Fowler Jr. is the guy they miss out of everybody right now more than anyone. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 I. And, 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 and I talked to Dante for a little bit after the Rams Broncos preseason game in August, and he was. And, he, he, and I've always liked him. He just made some bad decisions. Mm. He's always been a good kid. I think he looked at that trade from the Rams, followed up by a one-year deal, saying, "Hey, this is it. I have to not commit stupid penalties. 
I cannot get in trouble off the field. I have to be a productive player. Then I can get a multi-year deal. So, you know, you, you like it. You like it when some of these young guys do see the light. Yes. And I think he, he did after his trade. And I think he just needs to get away from the state of Florida. Yeah, and by the way, that's going to turn into like tens and tens and tens of millions of dollars because of that. Uh, Ryan, one more quick question regarding Jared Goff and the Rams here, because, you know, I'm coming from the philosophy more that, you know, this kind of falls on Sean McVay, but the reason yeah. I, I kind of say that is, do you think there's any other quarterback, and I get it, it's just like a theoretical question, it's kind of hard to answer, but do you think there's any other quarterback in the NFL right now that depends more on their head coach or offensive coordinator being successful than Jared Goff? So I guess, long story short, is there more of a system quarterback than Jared Goff right now? It's hard. To, it's hard to think one off the top of my yeah, head. Yeah. I mean, the Bears were trying to make Trubisky into that, mm-hmm. uh, but it, he just hasn't made the kind of progress. The Rams are interesting because you still don't know the true story. What's going on with Todd Gurley? I mean, he had no touches in the fourth quarter. I mean, he, we know he has the bad knee that's going to not get any better. That contract's going to be an albatross. So, uh, you know, when, you, when you look, maybe any any non first or second year quarterback. All those young guys are going to be system guys, but once you get into your third, fourth year, you shouldn't be looking over to the coach with 20 seconds left on the play clock. Mm-hmm. Totally unimpressed with golf. Well, yeah. here's the deal. I'm going to I'm going to throw one more at you because Austin asked an awesome question yesterday. Um, we have to highlight this when it happens. It doesn't always do this. <laughs> it's very rare, so Ryan. We so we have to highlight when I do. Ryan O'Hallon from the Denver <laughs> Post. Positive reinforcement. But he brought up. I thought this was fascinating. Now the Rams are five and four. And we're hoping they finish up five and eleven for the Jags, so they get a, a higher draft pick. But Jags are four and five. Which team would you actually rather be on right now for the last seven games of the year? Um, I mean, the team that has a little bit more momentum right now are the Jaguars. Um, you know, the Rams are just in a. You know, the Rams are have a double edged sword. They're not playing well, and they're in a tough division because even Arizona is competitive. Mm-hmm. I think if the Rams, the Rams and Bears on Sunday nights is an NFC loser goes home games. Yeah, I agree with you. And I, right. I think the Rams will maybe survive, but I, I don't think they're going to win enough games to make the playoffs. All right, you got Minnesota. Uh, how much snow do you have out in Colorado? It's all melted. Um, we were up to sixty yesterday after sixteen on Monday. <laughs> uh, so. That's awesome. <laughs> take, uh, so t- take your cold medicine, man. Mother Nature, <laughs> stay in your lane and just pick one. All right, <laughs> jeez. Uh, hey, good hanging out with you. Thanks for joining us, man. Okay, take care, fellas. Thanks. All right. Thanks, Ron. That's Rhino Allen from the Denver Post, formerly of the Florida Times Union. Always fun to hang out. We've had so much football to get to with Ryan. Oh, we haven't even talked wrestling lately. Oh, yeah. We're, we're going to have a little balling and falling. Uh, oh, about this we for, got that. Okay. Hey, it's that big of a deal to me, so let's, it's going to be balling. Wow, let's yeah. do it. Uh, that's and and hopefully he's going to be a guest picker one of these weeks, too. Really? Yeah. All right. We've got to make that happen. I know we do. I'll reach out to him. Another short week Spoiler for Austin. Alert. <laughs> I never knew when we signed up Austin that he only works half the Fridays. Then I'd be going to so many Hall of Fames and having so many fights. I know, Brent, what do you want from me, man? I'm sorry. Uh, When we come back, we'll do a little ball and fall. And actually, Sports Shacks on ESPN 690. Yeah, it's one of those things, you know, you obviously, you try not to think about it, but it's obviously there. Um, You know, I knew it was going to be a a tough decision for, you know, whichever way it goes. Um, But, you know, I respect the decision they made. And we're both, we're all moving forward together in any way we can help the team. I think I proved that I can be a guy in this league for a long, long time. Um, and I, th- I think they believe that. And uh, there's obviously things that we're going to get better at. So that next time I do get my opportunity, I'll be ready and I'll be better. And uh, we're all going to pro- progress together. And there it is right there. Bingo from Gardner Minshew.
You know, he did prove something. Mm-hmm. No doubt. Eight-game sample proved something. Got a lot of believers and believe in himself. I don't think he already said that. But belief in this organization, belief in the fan base, and probably belief on a, on a lot of tape for the rest of the league. You know, mm-hmm. so that covers you in every facet. And I'm not sitting here saying, well, they're going to trade away Gardner Mitchell. They're going to whatever. No. But I think people believe that's a great first impression. Because when you start on the other side, it's an uphill battle. When people don't think you can play and mm-hmm. you're trying to chase that, hard. When you, people say, whoa, this kid can play, that's a great starting point, you know, and then who knows where it goes from there. But you're going to get opportunities in the NFL to prove yourself again when you start off and people say, this kid can play in the league. Yeah, I mean, listen, teams don't forget whether it's the Jaguars or any other NFL team there. Uh, they understand what that dude's capable of, right? So that's always going to be there. That's always going to be the starting trend. But now, to be fair, that that is a pro and it's a con because at the end of the day, too, you have to live up those expectations every single time you come in a football game now, right? So it is a pro and con, but it's good to have that base level of where Gardner Minshew's at right now. Hey, I'm going to do uh, Ballin' and Fallin'. We ripped through some topics as well. We even yeah. stay in your late. we got a little bit of everything going on. But uh, my Ballin' is going to be for all the kids today that are signing, a lot of early signing kind of days, not yeah. for football. It's like a, it's a day of signing for everything else. Okay. And uh, a lot of kids tweeting out and, and those dreams coming true. And for I always sure. say parents smiling big time. So congratulations to all the high school kids out there that are getting to play that next level sport. And then I always say this. Now, listen, you played at Murray State. Mm-hmm. I played Division two school and was average as the day is long. But I always feel like if you love to play, go play somewhere. Yeah. Right, you don't have to play at Florida, mm-hmm. Florida State, Alabama, Auburn, Georgia, all those places. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great if you can. Yeah, God bless you if you can. But if you can't, there's 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 a lot of schools in this country that play sports mm-hmm. and to continue that career and keep playing because it runs out. You know, well, I mean, unless you're the home run derby champ and score some points in the in, in the pro basketball mm-hmm. with the Giants like yeah. me and you know those kind of things. Well, and <laughs> nice nice little name drop there. Um, I mean, I was wondering how long I was going to have to go on well, until no, you no, finally no, got that. No, I was letting you go until I thought you had more. <laughs> I, thought, I thought you had more on the docket. I thought you had more on your resume. But no, I it, probably it, did. Well, it's like you said, like National Signing Day, Brent, so that means there's a lot of kids out there that are getting scholarships, and that can't be understated, just how important and, and how uh, big of a deal it is to celebrate and just, you know, um, admire just getting that scholarship, getting your education paid for, it is a big deal. And, and I get it. Sometimes people want to say, oh, it's just it, it's a piece of paper, yada, yada, yada. But no, getting a, a college education, it, it is still a big deal, at least in my eyes. And listen, I, I hope everybody gets paid one day to play college football or college sports in general. But never forget that college scholarship means a lot, too, as well. Yeah, but also don't forget that it doesn't mean it's the end of life. You haven't made it. Right? No, for sure. No, yeah, not, you, you still you're just getting started, man. Because you're just the, getting started. I, I will say, at any level... The the uh, culture shock, if you will, moment, mm-hmm. at least even for me, I was like, oh, I'm going to go play out here in Ohio. I mean, how good can they play in baseball in Ohio, you know, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. Well, everybody's good. Yeah. And so you think people on your high school team are pretty good and you might have some competition there or your travel team. Well, by the time you get to the collegiate level, and especially if you're really going high, right? Yeah. Everybody's good. Like every in the big schools, mm-hmm. I think what's hard to comprehend for a kid that got recruited and is really a supreme athlete and is playing, say, power five sports, 
it's hard to comprehend that everybody that's going in there was the best player on their team. Exactly. You know I mean? And it's like my defensive line at Murray State always said to me, he's like, there's a million guys that are 6'6 six, six and athletic out there. What's going to separate you from everybody else is your work ethic. And by the way, I'm not sure I agree with him. Are there a million guys that are 6'6 six, six and I, I, athletic? I think it was kind of a figure of speech, but I, I think 6'6 six, six and bunch, walking man. and chewing gum is tough. <laughs> well, you're not 6'6, six, six, Brent, so you wouldn't know. Uh, <laughs> my my balling real quick. Uh, wrestling news, man. We kind of teased it a little bit, but CM Punk Ooh. is back. Uh Last night for WWE Backstage, which is kind of just like a wrestling talk show that airs on Fox Sports 1, I believe, um, at 10 or 11 o'clock at night. So it's kind of a later night show. But um, CM Punk out of nowhere makes his debut. They dropped his theme music. He enters, much to the surprise of the other co-hosts there. And uh, he said that he will be on the show next week. So it is safe to say that CM Punk... Uh, is at least back in some kind of capacity with wrestling. He's not signed to the WWE roster, but he is with Fox now talking about wrestling. Interesting. Very Did interesting. Did you see that move coming? No. Not, I'll be honest with you, not at all. There's rumors out there that he tried out for the position and things like that, but then it kind of went cold. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very surprised. I'm surprised that all wrestling... You know, because he has friends that wrestle there, so and the, his friends are kind of quote unquote running the show. They help Tony Khan out. So the fact that uh, he picked WWE, um, I think it's a shock to a lot of people. But good for him, man. I mean, at the end of the day, he's making decisions based off happiness and not money. And obviously, he's happy doing this. So more power to him. More power to him. Go ahead and do your falling. Uh, well, it's probably the same thing for us. I'm gonna, right? I'm gonna, okay, I'm gonna bounce it different. I can okay. do it. Uh, yeah. The purple so, races. so, University of Kentucky, number one in the nation, losing to the Evansville Purple Aces. Number one, I bet half of you people can't even tell me where Evansville even is. Come on. Coos. Coos. Is Coos in there? Oh, uh, wait, well, wait, wait, wait till he comes back because that, that's, that's, that's a good indicator. Yeah. West Coos where Evansville is. But yeah, I obviously, and I get it. It's, it's basketball upsets happen, but man, I know Evansville and they're, Coos. We got a trivia question for you, real quick. Try to help me prove a point, or maybe prove Brent's point. Where is Evansville? I want to say North Carolina. <laughs> Where is it? <laughs> I was it is, up. Yeah, a little bit. It's in Indiana. Close enough. Because yeah. not everything is in Philadelphia. <laughs> I said Philly. Oh, Coos, I love it, man. I set you up and you knocked it really down. Did, you Stockton, knocked it Stockton to Malone. But yeah, so anyway, so University, it was Evansville University at University of Evansville. Whatever I it is. Evansville University. Evansville University. I did not know they were the Purple Aces. Neither did I. I don't know what a Purple Ace even is. There's two parts of this story that are amazing for me. Hit me with them. When I saw the score, I didn't really watch much of the game. When I came back and saw the score and I was like, Okay, that must have been one of these preseason tournaments on a neutral site court. That was at Rupp Arena. Oh, yeah. That was in Lexington. Yeah. Kentucky lost on their home floor yeah. to Evansville mm-hmm. as the number one ranked team in the country. I mean, I know it wasn't Chaminade, Virginia, but <laughs> holy cow, it felt that way a little bit. I mean, Evansville can't be that bad, but I think they won 11 games last year, Evansville yeah. did. So uh, that that was wild. And uh I couldn't believe it. I was stunned. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other part of uh, Walter McCarty, I thought the cool part was Walter McCarty, who yep. played for Kentucky, beats Kentucky. And I, I, I vaguely remember Walter McCarty. He won a 96 championship with Kentucky. And I think after that, I believe he played for the Boston Celtics. And I think he wore zero. See, because his knowledge at NBA, the Drive Dish podcast, just, doesn't go back that far. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure he wore number zero. Okay. Playing for the Celtics, Walter McCarty, yeah, I think. That's a deep dive right there. It would I like be that. a deep remember. Okay. Especially since I was in college around that time yeah. in the late 90s, but I think that was the case. Well, a little third follow-up, too, real quick. So last night, as that went down, 
Murray State was taking on Tennessee. Oh. And Murray State at halftime was up by nine to Tennessee. And it looked oh. like the Murray State Racers were going to drive to a victory, in which case I was going to come on this show tomorrow and brag about Murray State being the best basketball team in the state of Kentucky. But now we can't because Tennessee ended up beating them by 19 oh, in, wow. in the second half. Turned so, on the gas. Yeah, turned on the gas real quick. Are they any good, Murray State, after John Morant? <sighs> yeah, you know, th- there are some building pieces there. Uh Tevin, I mean, just random names, but the guy, the guy, Tevin Brown's pretty good. Uh, but I think they're still expected to compete with Belmont. It's always Belmont, Murray State, right? Yeah, yeah. Like the, those are the two guys in the OVC. Um, they're expected to compete, but obviously, when you lose a guy like John Morant, you're not going to be as good as last year. Simple as that. Okay, South Alabama, by the way, uh, almost beat Auburn last night. Oh wow! And they play. They're in the Bruce Pearl, now. right? Yeah, it's no, true. North Alabama's in Jason. Sorry, uh, South Alabama though. Yeah, almost beat Auburn, who went to the Final Four last yeah, year. Yep. Now they lost a lot, but they went to the Final Four and they almost beat them. So a lot of almost upsets, uh, and then the one big upset yesterday. Okay, uh, my fallen. It's going to be everybody that still believes in Alabama. <laughs> Brent can't let this go, man. He gets a little hate on Twitter, and he's bringing the wrath. All right, let's hear it. Um, it's not a wrath. The one thing that we're not talking about with Alabama is the two of health or not. We're not talking enough about it. True. So everybody that says Alabama's Alabama, they got 25 uh, five stars, and they've got Nick Saban, and they've won for 10 years. And, well, you know what? They also have a quarterback that might not be healthy. And mm. part of the reason you believe in Alabama is because they can now score 35 a game. And, well, they might not have that guy at 100%. And he didn't look 100%. Now they threw it all over the yard. He ends up throwing for, what, I think, 418. But, they, again, folks, I mean, they were in chase mode much of that game. I thought Jason Fitz hit it. And it was very hard to explain to people on Twitter. But I thought he – didn't he – your 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 ears ring a little bit when he mentioned the ball control, the game control – where he said, actually, the the metrics on that game against LSU mm-hmm. show that they got more blown out for the entirety of the game yeah. than even the national championship game against Clemson. Mm-hmm. I mean, that will that kind of speaks to my point of I didn't really feel like they were in it that much. And yes, did they have a chance late? Yes, but for about fifty five minutes, I felt like LSU was in supreme control of that game. I also believe this. A lot of people ask you, okay, does Alabama or Minnesota? Okay, again, if I'm going to bet my house, I think Alabama. But I just watched Evansville beat Kentucky, and I watched Minnesota beat Penn State. It's not college basketball, uh, though, man. No, but I watched Minnesota you beat can't Penn State. It. Yeah. And so I'm not going to say you know, that that Minnesota couldn't beat Alabama. Yeah, I think nine out of ten times Alabama probably would win because you know why? Because then I would fall back to their Alabama. Mm-hmm. But my point is I just don't know how good they are this year. I said to you or I said to somebody, I actually think Florida this year – the way they are, and what I've seen from Alabama and watch that game, I think Florida could beat Alabama as a two-loss team. I do. Hmm. I think they actually, this year, if they were to play Alabama, again, I'm not guaranteeing you a win. I'm saying I think they could beat them, and I would not have said that at any time. I think Georgia would beat Alabama. One thing. So if so Alabama, everybody who's saying Minnesota versus Alabama and wondering why Alabama, Georgia's ahead of Alabama, I will tell you without hesitation that I think Georgia would beat Alabama. Okay. I think they're a better football team than Alabama. That's okay. not even close, but you, but in my you, opinion. But you still think Alabama would, would beat Minnesota? I, again, if you have me to mean, put money on it, I would yes. Okay. Um, my, my question to you is this, and we kind of touched on it a little bit yesterday, but in your opinion, do you think Alabama made a mistake by going with the trend and being the cool kids and going with the spread offense? Or do you think they were better 
when they were just that pro style kind of boring played well like really good defense ran the ball a little bit more and just shut teams down like do you think number one i guess is that still around in college football where you can succeed with that and number two should they have stuck with that well here's the deal i would say no they didn't make a mistake because they have won a lot of football games including i think a national championship when they've made that, that move yeah but so the, okay they've not made a mistake i mean they still have one loss this year Mm-hmm. I, what what my my main thing here for folks to understand is I can't tell you evidence wise how good Alabama is because I just can't I can't measure them. But you're gonna but, find out when they play Auburn, and we will find out. Yeah, you're right. To your point from the beginning of the show, but uh, I don't think they have no. So I don't think they made a mistake. Mm-hmm. And does anybody else play that way? You know who Utah? plays that way? Utah? No. Oh. Well, yes, they do too. Mm-hmm. The Georgia Bulldogs play that way. Yeah. The Georgia Bulldogs play the way Alabama used to play. Mm-hmm. But they've also proven that they can play the other way. They beat Oklahoma a few years back in the Final Four yeah. because they were able to go shoot out with, with Oklahoma. They were able to do it. Okay, now you're going to say, well, that's Oklahoma's defense. Well, wait a minute. Alabama's uh, – their defense just gave up 46. Mm-hmm. So I, I believe Georgia can play multiple styles just like Alabama had over the years. If they needed to score 40 in a game in a shootout because somebody got them on defense, they were able to do that. But Georgia probably is more like the old Alabama, and we've seen they control games. They don't need to go score 40 because they're usually beating people, other than South Carolina, of course. Uh, I think we have a phone call on the line. I'm guessing it's an Alabama fan. I can't wait. Uh, here we go. What's up, man? Uh, JC, is that who it is? JC? What's up, JC? Yes, sir. JC Sports. So I was just watching, and I heard you say Georgia could beat Alabama. Did You really just said that? I did just say that. There's now, no doubt now, in my mind they will beat out. They would beat Alabama. Now, now I'm not an Alabama fan. I'm a Miami fan. I know. I know we suck. But <laughs> <laughs> here's the thing. So South Carolina beat Georgia. Alabama will hang seventy on South Carolina. Just the same South Carolina got blown out by Appalachian State, right? Well, not blown out, but yes, beaten by uh, Appalachian so, State. Yes. I'm so here. Here's our mistake. Watch Georgia versus Auburn, right? Now, this is an interesting game. And George, when you see Georgia show against Auburn, you're going to get you're, – you're going to rethink about what you just said because <laughs> here's why Georgia's going to struggle versus Auburn. So, Georgia fans think just because they put points up on Georgia, on Florida's defense and whatnot, that they're going to block Auburn. That's not true. If you go back and you watch these past Auburn games, every, when you go back and watch the Georgia-Auburn game, Everybody who, every time Auburn became a one-point underdog in those games, they won. And the thing is, Georgia isn't explosive on offense. Um, when you look at Georgia's offense, for most of the year, Georgia fans have been one to fire the officer coordinator, and all Georgia fans say is fire the officer coordinator. Kirby Smart used to get a new officer coordinator. Oh, Jake Fromm isn't a good quarterback. He's a check-down Charlie. Jake Fromm is basically that Prescott. So when you put how – average Georgia's offense is versus Alabama's defense, yeah, Alabama's defense is not great, but at the end of the day, Alabama can outscore anybody in the nation. You go back and look at that LSU game, Tua Tagovailoa was heavily injured in the fourth quarter. Dude was literally limping, still throwing touchdowns. So, I mean, Georgia's defense is good and all, but Alabama's offense is one of the best offenses in the nation with a healthy Tua. So, if you're telling me a healthy Tua could would lose to a Georgia whose offense has been pretty much average at this point. And their offensive coordinator, Georgia fans have been saying they want their offensive coordinator to be fired. So if Georgia gets into a shootout with Alabama, 
they're not going to win. Even a close game, I would take um, Alabama to win because Alabama is just a better team talent-wise. And then you got did, – didn't Georgia lose to a backup quarterback last year in the SEC championship and Jalen Hurts? And then plus Georgia doesn't really have a lot of wide receivers. Basically, the whole wide receiving core besides Luke Cager is inexperienced, really. All Georgia does is run the football. When you look at championship-caliber teams, smash my football – doesn't win championships, and it doesn't beat the Alabama. Look at Wisconsin. Wisconsin gets overhyped so many every single year because everybody thinks Wisconsin is going to win a national championship. Smash Mouth football doesn't win national championships. What wins national championships is not just having a great defense, but an offense that can put up 40 points. When you look at all those when you look at a team like Oklahoma, Alabama, and um, LSU this year, right, Alabama went to the playoffs last year. Not only, even though their defense wasn't that good, that got them to the playoffs. When you look at the top five offenses in college football over the last five seasons, all, almost every team that's in the top five was in the college football playoffs. But the team that not only had good offense but the better defense won the national championship. So will Georgia beat Alabama? I don't think so. Even though they have a good defense, I don't think they could keep up Alabama scoring-wise. JC, awesome call, man. I appreciate it. Thanks. We're going to run, but uh, that was uh, fantastic. A couple of real things. I'd love to go back and forth with them, but we don't have the time to no, do it. No, what you did now, Brent. I know, but here's the problem. Here's the thing, right, with Alabama. You have to bring up last year at some point if you're, if you're going to give me an Alabama mention. Well, you have to. Um, also, what he said is he said healthy Tua. Yeah. If there's right now, we can admit there's not a healthy Tua. So we can't just assume that he's going to be healthy at any point right now. I saw that. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was a gimpy Tua. Yeah. And the other thing is about the their offense is really good. But what would the LSU offense, which is really good, the offense of Alabama and offense like Oklahoma be against this Georgia defense? This Georgia defense hasn't allowed 20 but, points, man, in the game. Uh, and, and you know what? And I'm going to agree with our caller here in the fact that this isn't the old school SEC anymore. We got to play stellar defense. Absolutely. And just, Absolutely. Th- 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 that's not how it is, Brent. And LSU is changing their game. And guess what? They're number one in the nation right now because why? They put up a lot of points. And I think when you're talking about the SEC and you're talking about Georgia and Alabama, they are going to be track meets, and it's just the way it's going to be. And I know what you're saying Georgia defense is pretty solid. They got a good defense. Well, LSU's DBU, and look at how many points Alabama dropped against them. So with, with those things considered, and the fact that Alabama's got three stud NFL caliber receivers, I do agree with the caller and think that Alabama would absolutely kill Georgia. No, kill. Jeez, and that's the caller that called out Wisconsin, and now you're saying Alabama would kill Georgia? Hey, I'm just calling like it is, man. Hey, we got like two minutes left in the show, so you can screw stay in your lane today because we got Charlie. Not Charlie, you did. You get all these Alabama people calling. Char- is Charlie an Alabama fan too? I don't know. What's up, Charlie? No, I'm. A- What's up, guys? No, I'm. I'm actually a Georgia fan. I yeah. try to. I try to stay away from being the the Homer uh, the Homer type, but uh, you know, there's a lot of hey, there's I a lot of great help, points Charlie. that Homer made. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm trying, man. I'm trying, but uh. I think there, you know, he made a lot of good points, but you know, a lot of things like you guys have probably mentioned. Um, you know, Georgia hasn't given up a rushing touchdown this year on defense. They're averaging, yeah, I think they're giving up like 74, 74 yards a game on the ground. And um, you know, like you guys said, both LSU and Alabama have you know elite wide receivers. You know, first round picks everywhere. But um, you know, there's just something always about these big games, especially in a, in a championship game, like what's going to happen in Atlanta in a couple weeks. <clears throat> 
teams always rise to the occasion. You know, if you look at the games that Kirby's lost, taking away 2016, Georgia's never really – it's never because – well, I guess you could say maybe South Carolina this year because they're, they're not a good football team. It's, it's unexcusable. But, you know, LSU last year, Auburn in 17 on the Plains, um, the national championship and the SEC championship in 17 and 18. They never, they never got beat because the other team was flat out better than them. They've, they've got beat to, you know, a boneheaded coaching decision, a, a fake punt. You know, we always argued Tyler Simmons was onside on the block punt in the national championship game, and mm-hmm. second and 26 in overtime would have never happened. But, um, you know, like my grandfather always said, and I'll let you guys go, if ifs and buts were candies and nuts, every day would be Christmas. I'll yeah. take care of it. Thanks, man. Thank we you, appreciate man. the call. And, and, you know, and really the way college football set up, it is ifs and buts. It is. Yeah. That's it, just the way it is. Yeah. It's a great debate. I can't believe you sided with J.C. even after he ripped Wisconsin. Hey, they got beat by Illinois. What do you want me to say, man? I'm just sitting here just like, yeah, he makes some good points. He's basically put on a TED Talk for 10 minutes about why Alabama would beat Georgia, and the guy made some good points. And Wisconsin Badgers, I love you, but, yeah, you're you're not going to national championship. By the way, good calls. J.C. might, have a, might be the top call of the year. I know. Well, it's, it's been lonely without... I'm not even going to say his name, but you know who I'm talking about. <laughs> hey, save your stay in your lane for tomorrow. Sounds tomorrow good. we're going to be skate ice oh, skating. I'm, I'm going skating tomorrow. We're going skating. We're going, going to the Jacksonville Iceman. Have a good night, everybody. Thanks Bring for your ice uh, skates, listening Brent. on ESPN 690. Love you, Alabama. Roll Tide. <laughs> for the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.